You're listening to one of the first two episodes of Amazingly Terrible, which means we didn't have quality microphones, and the episodes are three hours long. So, hang in there. So, we're listening to uh, Star Blazers, um, episode 24, The Battle of Gamillion, and Jim and the Holograms, episode 60, The Day the Music Died. So, sit back in your red velvet love seat and get naked. Yeah. <laughs> I'm already making <laughs> That's exactly how I watched these shows today. Let's talk about the poor audio quality of this show. Of well, this we're awesome. all having technical issues. Now, Absolutely is the audio quality fans. because this is imported from the 80s? Like, no, I'm, no, no. Our, our poor, our poor oh, quality. Well, yeah. Matt's poor yeah. quality, Mike's poor quality, Derek's poor. Hey, let's all welcome Derek. Hey, Derek. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Hi, Derek. Glad to be here. We're all cheap. Oh, shit. So we don't okay. want to buy really nice microphones. All right. Hold on. Guys, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. We, we did, we did an introduction time. last time. Last time we did an introduction, and I said, my name is Adam. Oh, Matt yeah. Said, Matt said, Matt said, he's a math that's nerd. <laughs> yes. We, introductions. We, that's the next thing. So let's, why don't we just do a quick introduction? Actually, yeah. Derek, let's, let's give the newbie a chance here. No. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, welcome to Amazingly Terrible Week Two. I have no clue what I'm doing. Actually, we're gonna no, watch some TV shows. That was actually we're talk some trash. We're gonna drink some beer, sit back, relax, and probably delete this when you're done. Yeah. Yeah. So De- Derek is a disgraced naval pilot. Mm. Um, I wouldn't say disgraced. Well, Why you were just we you were dishonorably discharged. Back to the military right? all the time. Okay. No, I'm still in. The the world doesn't revolve around the military. But it, it's, it has some funny context. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Hey, everybody. My name is Adam. I live in Seattle. What's your name? Uh, hi, Adam. Uh, my name's Matt. Uh, and you and I have known each other for a long time, so it's weird that you're asking. <laughs> well, you know, the reason I have to ask is because your name actually isn't Matt, is it? Philip. Man, you're gonna you're gonna help me to the uh, to the IRS. Done. 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 <laughs> uh, that the the uh, musical uh, the musical coordinator is Mike. Uh, I thought I thought we established last time that Mike is a disgraced Air Force officer on the run. Whatever for he a is, crime he, he did not commit. Yeah, whatever he is, he needs to introduce himself. Hi, my name is Mike, and I've known all of these assholes since sixth grade except for Derek I got to know him recently he's still an asshole in like 38th grade (laughs) 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 yes alright who's next but but I'm not done yet now I am There's like some sort of rhythmic beating in the background. That's my beatboxing. Okay. (laughs) And finally, the man, the myth, the legend. The, I want to go with him to Disney Okay, so, I'm David, and uh, I can already tell this episode is never coming out. <laughs> Everyone's talking over each other. No one has a proper microphone. The He's quality is, is going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. The level of professionalism, professionalism is only going down. 
It He's a fortune up. teller. Well, that's because he blood alcohol the content's going up. Oh. It, it fits in perfectly with the theme, which is amazingly terrible. Amazingly mm. terrible. Impressively terrible. Wait, is it impressively terrible? No, it is not it's impressively not. terrible. Okay. All, right. all this awesome, is going to get cut out anyway, so once we get into the episode itself, then we actually have some gold. Yeah. Well, okay, we've all, you're, we've, you're we've all done the, the episode, same joke. You'll listen to the episode, and there'll be no one on it but me. <laughs> and something about I'm re-recording all of your lines. <laughs> all right. So, uh, shall we talk about Gem and Star Blazers? Oh my god! I've been I've... ready for this since about four or five p.m. today. I've been wow. ready since so 1985, ready. bitches. What would you like to talk about first? Should we talk about the stars of the Star Blazers or the stars of the Starlight Foundation? Well, oh, well, I think wait, that it's so actually. It, what's what's really funny is both of the intros actually have an incredible amount of exposition dump because the gem and the really? holograms intro is their normal intro, what? which is the yeah we didn't me see and the normal my friends intro, are gem girls girls gem gem is my wait 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 stop the music yeah that's no, not Adam, Adam that's Adam, not a lot of information is, yeah <laughs> yeah that is not their normal intro actually in season three no. they changed it from gem truly outrageous to gem girls. Oh, mm -hmm. that makes so much sense because I remembered it as Jam Truly Outrageous. Mm-hmm. Okay. She, originally, she was Truly Outrageous, and then they changed it in season three. To be like more like, oh, we're friends. It's not like a lone singer that's taking on the world. I don't know why they changed it, actually. It, it didn't say. I mean, it might have been just they, they recorded a lot of music for Jim and the Holograms, so it might have been they, they just, just like, had switch another it up. one. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, well, or maybe it was or, or they're trying to diminish her power. Maybe they're like, oh, this this powerful female character that we have in a cartoon for young girls is getting a little bit too powerful. Let's curb her down. Let's actually make her more friend oriented rather this than success oriented. This fictional character we created is too cow powerful for us. Exactly. So um, classic Frankenstein story. So talking about that opening, um, were they all like that? Again, I, I kind of mentioned this. Before. You mean like with the break-in from Gem and the Holograms? So it was—it was like a musical number, and then all of a sudden, it was like the record scratch moment from like no. quintessential no, no, nineties. They, they weren't all we, like that. We picked, oh, okay. we picked yeah. the absolute worst episode worst. Yeah. To, to watch first. I disagree. I think this—I think this episode was oh. literally a tour de force. That's what we always do. We no. we, we pick these worst episodes. No, no, no. I mean, I mean, worst as in worst for the first episode to watch when you've never seen any episodes yeah. before. Yeah, yeah. That, that's our that's it our sort MO. Of dump, dumps you right into the middle of it with like, there's like thirty different characters. We don't really know who any of them are, and we got to figure out which each one's name is and what the relationship is. And uh, yeah, I mean, biting their even, lips. Can, there's even stuff. like uh, you could do it by faction. Like uh, yeah, like there's three there's oh, three different bands. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I had no idea. Just go along for the ride. So let's compare that with the the Star Blazers opening theme. Yeah, in, in fact, the opening credits of Star Blazers is still bouncing around in my head. We're whalers on the moon. We carry a harpoon, but there ain't no whales. We don't know sing this whaling tune. Uh, the only thing stuck in my head is Baby Shark. I mean, Star Blazers was very, very straightforward. Uh, is dying. You got a year. We sent a battleship into space to go to another planet to get yeah. a device to save it. It was a well, exposition dump. Yep they they fly they fly into a spatial spectral and say bye bye to that big blue marble we call Earth. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what I really liked about the Star Blazers intro is they, they really did their best to not rhyme space with human race. Ooh. And, like, and, and it really sounded like it was coming up and that the very first time they hit that chorus. Are you sure they didn't do that? It's I'm pretty sure they did not. They like might have done it later on, but like in the first part. The space not. the space human race uh, uh, rhyme is almost as bad as the Hero Zero rhyme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I was thinking, too. This was probably taken from Japanese, so they tried to probably, you know, make it at least a little bit more towards the true translation. Well, actually, they didn't, because when they when they brought it over to the U.S., they completely rewrote the intro to the show. So they they had the the opportunity to basically just record it all from scratch, and all of the imagery you see in the intro is actually just pulled directly from the cartoon itself. It wasn't actually designed as an intro for the show mm. in the original format. So interesting. Um, I got a real um, I got a real uh, uh, battleship gla- uh, battle. Battleship Yamamoto. No. <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Battle Galactica. Thank you. I got a yeah. real Battlestar Galactica feel from the opening and from the premise. There's like we're yeah. on this long space journey where we're one lone spacecraft which, which is essentially a World War II ship analog uh, having space battles. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And another kind of parallel that you can you can draw to Battlestar Galactica is uh, all the, the weapons on the ship were essentially future versions of old weapons. So yeah. They had turrets and guns and missiles and torpedoes. It wasn't like something out of Star Trek or Star Wars where you had lasers or phasers or blasters or sort of like energy beam weapons, you know. Um, aside from the one that we'll get into when we kind of deep dive the show. There was some nuance that they went into with Jim, though. Um, Jim itself, they they did a lot of um, different tricks to try to, to show you which each different character was, because they were uh, butting up against the same problem that a lot of Japanese animes had, mm-hmm. where it was tough to tell the uh, who who was who, because a lot of it was similarly drawn, so the easy way to, to fix that is just to give them different hair. The problem is with Jim, they actually changed their hair colors. Yes, and they all and they changed this their hair styling like between scenes. Uh, yeah, I counted no. four different hairstyles on Jim alone, as yes, well as yeah. four uh, distinct costume changes for Jim. But so the the way they got around that was with the jewelry and the face makeup. So, <laughs> like, no, no, seriously, like people, there were some of them that had specific face makeup, but you saw that Jim the entire time was wearing those like pink starburst earrings. Mm-hmm. Yes, and well, the, the earrings are very important for Jim. We'll get it. Well, let's get into Jim, shall we? Oh, okay. okay. Let's, to, let, let's get into the summary. To just agree with Adam's point there, I had no idea <clears throat> until almost the conclusion of the episode who was in the uh, in the Stingers band and who is not in the Stingers band until like the scene where they're all together, and then that's the moment that it clicked over, and I was like, oh, they were using hair color yeah. to identify who is who is part of as uh, Matt had said earlier, who's part of faction A. Faction B, Faction C. I have a little bit of background on Jem. Uh, the first okay. is that uh, I remember watching Jem pretty consistently at a friend's house in Hawaii, and mm. I actually remember enjoying it a lot. Um, nice. In fact, I have like embarrassing memories of coming back and telling my family about, family about it over like dinner. Uh, the plot <laughs> of Jem. 
And then your dad, like, sat you down and forced you to watch five hours of G.I. Joe just to get the gym out of your system? Uh, no, my dad did not care. I think it bugged my mom more. This show ran from 1985 to 1988. Uh, nice. Gem and the Holograms was a joint production from Hasbro, uh, Sunbow, and Marvel Productions. And Sunbow oh, really? is... Sunbow is a subsidiary or an owned company from uh, Griffin Bacall Advertising. And this team-up, Hasbro, Sunbow, and Marvel, they're also the team-up that did Transformers and G.I. Joe. And actually, oh, it's... That makes it, a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, and it shares a lot of the same talent. So a lot of the writers and the voice talent, et cetera. Voice actors, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was created by Christy uh, Marks, who had a fucking awesome career. Uh, she wrote for a bunch of animated shows as well as a bunch of comics and she wrote nonfiction books, but she wrote for GI Joe. She wrote for Spider-Man. She wrote for uh, X-Men evolution. She wrote for the elf quest comics and for David. Wow. Yeah. Oh. For David. She also, oh, wrote, wow. she also wrote on captain power and the soldiers of the future and on reboot. <laughs> David's favorite shows. She wrote on captain power. Oh man. I had a captain power lunchbox in kindergarten. Oh, oh, that's awesome! Hey, Matt, real quick, uh, was this show produ- uh, was this show essentially created as a we're going to sell toys, or did the to- who came first, the toys of the show or the show of the toys? We covered this a little bit on the last episode, but um, yeah. in the eighties, they changed the FCC ruling so that you could um, you could base a property, advertise on, the kids. yeah, base an advertising property on. A toy line. So yes, this was made okay. in direct competition with Barbie, and during the period, oh, during the early the part line, of the right. period, it outsold Barbie. So this was Hasbro's wow. kind of answer to Barbie. Nice. Um, so oh, wow. they made a line of dolls and playsets, and some of the standout uh, playsets were Jem's uh, car. Uh, they had a radio station playset, and of course, a doll-sized waterbed playset. <laughs> I wonder okay, what we're doing. Yeah. That. <laughs> I, of course, they had a waterbed in the '80s. <laughs> right, it was a waterbed. Um, uh, and, it's more like a '70s thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, most dolls came with. Uh, there's a lot of '70s mixed in here. Most of the dolls came with cassettes of Gems music, like a single or so. Um, like like a well, like a, you, a if tape. If you remember, the seventies yeah. like didn't tape? quite end in the seventies. There was some bleed over into the eighties. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was another thing I was thinking of. Uh, this was like early to mid eighties, and that and and the look is so strongly eighties. I was wondering how much this actually was an influence and not influenced by the culture. I, I think that hmm. so. I I my theory on it is like visually, it's very much the eighties the bands that they're parroting and the kind of um, mm. musical themes is like the musical stories seem very 70s like I got a strong like CBGB's um, underground vibe from a lot of and, and like uh, golden age golden years of rock and roll kind of uh, parody so I think that the writers are really drawing on those stories from the 70s well a lot of them probably got their they cut their teeth in the 70s so that influenced what they you know kind of drew from yeah i mean the 70s were just lousy with teeth cutting (laughs) 
No, Matt, actually, I agree with you. Now that you had mentioned that, it seems like um, like a lot of the songs, essentially the, the production of when they were performing or whatever, was very Studio 54. Yeah. Like, it just, <clears throat> it was it was a bit more disco, a bit more pop, a bit more, actually, what is, what is kind of current in, like, the pop scene as opposed to 80s pop. But, as David said, one of my notes said, this is the most 80s thing ever. The costuming was very <laughs> I 80s. I was watching it, and I was like, holy shit. Yeah, this we're definitely like... just screams 86. We're, aesthetically, we're peak 80s. The music felt like, oh, I think easy. to your point, it felt, like a, the, it felt like the battle between disco and punk. And uh, the yeah. Misfits kind of represented punk, although they, they had a purely electronic sound in the show. And yeah. uh, the holograms kind of represented the popular disco trends. Well, you could also see the birth of pop, which is what happened in the 90s. And pop is the confluence of disco, punk, and rock into that undeniably catchy yet disgusting rhythm <laughs> that we all love now. But it, it's that, that's the birth of it. You're, you're seeing the birth of it in media. <laughs> Yeah, one hundred percent. I do not agree with you. No, um, I disagree with entirely all of that. Well, we could agree to disagree. I okay, agreed. You bastards. But an area um, where I right. think Mike brings up an excellent point is but, that, but like pop said, Matt, came from pop came from all of this. Well, I mean, whether you pop, whether you we... like it or not, pop came from disco and and this it's just it's a more infectious form of this so um the the show was really inspired by mtv which was kind of like new at the time um and each episode it still had, had music uh it still had music and that's why they have those inserts that they they like there's music videos in the show where they uh yeah. bring the brand name and the song title um and that was inspired by mtv and each episode had three songs so that's a ton of music so the overall mm. series contained a total of 187 music videos and 151 unique songs. Damn. Which is insane cool. to think about. Matapedia yeah. right there. That, that is that an was... awesome amount of work that they put into that. And, and, and all honestly, like watching this episode, I did not find the music bad. No. I actually liked several of the songs. Yeah, it was not. It was overall, I enjoyed this episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> all right. Let's let's get so, into the summary. Oh. Okay. Sorry, you, okay. You, did you have a comment, Derek? No, I was going to say uh, that was actually one of my notes. Um, as a guy who really did not remember watching this show, one of them was: Did each episode have music videos associated with it? Like it was, it was such a strong kind of essentially theme in the episode. Like they had a music, a music video, a music performance by each of the three main faction bands: the Stingers, the Misfits, and the Holograms each had a song in the show was that and you had mentioned it that was something that they did um and from a production perspective that's actually really impressive like yeah. it's funny watching this as an adult because i completely disagree with you on enjoying it that was one of the worst <laughs> 22 minutes of television i've ever watched in my life but uh. at least from the at least from the like kind of production and nostalgia and everything else, I, I recognize what they did as there's a lot of very very impressive stuff. There's just uh, we'll get into it. It doesn't come into a package <laughs> that Derek likes. My end comment on my notes was that was terrible. <laughs> Lol. <laughs> um, but was it 
amazingly terrible. So we're in we're in yeah. we're in the third season, and this episode really does nothing for us. It gives us no intro into the world of Jim, and it assumes that we know the background. So I'm I'm going to go ahead and give you guys a little bit of the background. So our main character main character is Jerrica Benton. It kind of seems like it's coming in as the second part of a two-parter. Is that correct, mm-hmm. or is everything side flashes created just for this episode? I I think it's all side flashes created for this episode. I, I think so too. Yeah, because because um, if you want as you're watching it, you get that there's actually like two distinctive timelines. They're doing like a weird flashback yeah. to what's happening earlier, and then they catch up to the flashback, and then they go beyond it. Well, the, so they're flashing back from actually like the midpoint of the episode where. Um, yeah. they, they've already dis- like this story is a descent story like it's a descent into um, into madness um, so uh, they are all at the lowest point of the narrative when they're doing their flashbooks for, for each of the characters um, and the lowest point for the, the most of the holograms band is when they are they are forced to join the misfits everyone's crying they're caught up in games so that's kind of the point where all the flashbacks originate from and then when we catch up to that point in the story from the flashbacks, then it continues forward, showing how they kind of get out of that situation. Yeah, okay. it, it's very bizarre and jumbled. I was actually kind of surprised that they went with that particular narrative device for a kid yes. show. Yes. So this episode, like, it repeat, repeatedly breaks the fourth wall. It uses, like, multiple flashbacks, multiple points of view, <laughs> nested narratives, uh, and then the last third is sort of a linear narrative. narrative. Yeah, they, they keep on switching who the narrator is. And he's yes. like yeah. telling the flashback. And, and I have it, to say, my, my favorite part of the episode is when Jem catches Riot talking to the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Was, <laughs> who are you talking good. to? So I, I, I have a quick question about this. You might be able to answer, Matt. The, yeah. the nest of narrative. Um, this is very much like real world. And you already you already made the connection between MTV and Jim of the Holograms. Did Jim mm. and the Holograms help inspire the real world? <laughs> I'm gonna go with absolutely 100 percent yes. Unlike okay. Mike's crazy statement, that crazy statement is 100 percent accurate. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. It is kind of like it is kind of real world storytelling. In fact, like I, I don't, don't think, think I said anything like that. <laughs> I. <laughs> I, I don't think that like, um, I don't think they handled it very well. But I think that they were trying to do some fairly sophisticated storytelling in this yeah. episode. It just there's a lot of like weirdness as to why these things are happening. Well, I, I mean, it's it's hard to do in the short period of time they had. They had 20 minutes to basically create conflict, create an emotional response, and then resolve and sexual it as tension as possible. So yeah. don't forget about the sexual tension. So oh, I'll just, I can't forget about the sexual tension. I'm Have go, you seen Riot's hair? <clears throat> Riot. A little bit of background on the premise of Gem and the Holograms. So Jerrica Benton is our main character, and she uses holographic technology located in her earrings to transform herself into a gem. So she has a secret identity uh, as a rock star and, and this other character, Jerrica Benton. Jerrica Benton... Um, owns Starlight Music and runs the Starlight Foundation and um, is the sister of Kimberly of Kimber who is in the band 
the whole thing though begs the question why the fuck does she need a secret secret identity it, it like she lives yeah, with the yeah. band she's related to members of the band uh the other members of the band are her foster sisters like why what's the secret identity the, doing for her I, I think an even better question is why did miley cyrus do the same thing years later <laughs> um i think i mean it, why does every superhero do it i think it's because it's it's a compelling well um, superheroes have superheroes have yeah. super villains that target them mm, superheroes yeah, have yeah. a good answer for that <laughs> so is well, it like the singers the have the paparazzi the well, none of the other members of the band are doing this. Yeah, none of the other band, the, all the other band members are perfectly happy to be band members. Yeah. Anyway, so her, if you weren't a superhero, you're not going to have supervillains. I don't have. Well, any, all... I mean, I don't have any personally have any supervillains. Do you? But you're not a superhero, so no one cares about you. But you, you just said. Damn. But you're, <laughs> Mike. Damn. You just said it, and then you were trying to. Mike, Sorry. are you drunk? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that makes a lot of sense, actually. I was wondering about that because Jim actually changes her style and hair color. Whether I'm drunk or not. Right. In the, uh, in the episode. Yeah. And, and like, as I'm watching it, I was like, is she, does she do, go through a transformation for the shows? Does she actually do, like, a magical, yeah, again, so a magical girl transformation? Well, don't get me into, wrong. But Matt, you're a hero, but you're not a superhero. So you, <laughs> you're not going to have any supervillains after you. You're right. And just Mike, regular do, villains. Matt, do you know why you're not a superhero? Why? You're gonna have like you're gonna have like the you know the um, mortgage broker <laughs> villain, <laughs> and you're gonna have like the you know the the normal kind of villains, not yeah. like a super villain that's the, gonna like the you cable know, bill collector. Uh, uh, yeah, the cable bill villain, but not not, not the melt the polar ice caps supervillain. You're you're not a superhero because you skip leg day. <laughs> As you know, I, I don't want to mention. I, I didn't want to say this, but as much as you bike, your legs should be bigger. I, I don't think Matt's even a normal hero because it's heroes true. don't use drugs. Oh, you're right. Oh snap! That is he, a tie back to the '80s, right there. And I'm I'm fucking <laughs> wigged out of my mind on antidepressants right now. He's like, give up the <laughs> Just lithium, say yo. No, man. Just say no. <laughs> um, Just say no to those antidepressants and legal drugs that the corporate man is trying to push down our throats so uh the the she has this holographic technology that she inherited from her dead father it is a computer program or like a it's it's inferred it might also be an ai um called synergy and synergy allows her to project uh project Jesus. herself as gem but it's not wow. it, there's a lot of questions about why that particularly in this episode like basically no one really puts ever puts two into together because Jim disappears and also Jerrica Benton disappears, but nobody's yeah. like, "Where the fuck is Jerrica?" They're like, "Where's Jim?" Um, and in the meantime, they need to actually be more yeah. concerned about Jerrica because yeah. she's the head of the company. It's right. like losing the founder. Yeah. And... But it, it, it's a real poochy moment because whenever Jim yeah. isn't on screen, everyone's saying, "Where's Jim?" Right. <laughs> um, so she has a multi-ethnic band called the so, Holograms. Are we going to include Poochie in every podcast? Or... Did we do it last time? Yes. Yeah, I, I mentioned the death okay. of Poochie last time. Yeah, um, you did. They use uh, their profits from their band to foster 12 orphan girls called Starlight Girls, and they run a record label called Starlight Music. 
the, uh, wait, the, the 12 orphan girls are put to work to run the record labor? Record, uh, the record labor? I have a lot of theories on this that we'll get into later. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, they have a rival band called the Misfits, and then in, in later seasons, they also have another rival band called the Stingers. Um, mm. and, and there's a ton of characters that are all pretty much the same. So it's easier to let's talk about the faction to explain like why things want different, why groups di- want different things. Um, okay. Right. Uh, and I think overall this show makes it very clear that Jerrica has severely fucked up her life by pretending to be two people. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, all right. So, and our show's opening, as we talked about, is interrupted mid-song by Kimber Benton. This is Jerrica's sister. And she's, she's speaking directly to the viewers. Um, and uh, like I said, like the, the episode repeatedly breaks the fourth wall, and it has so much plot in it. Uh, it's like five seasons of a Mexican soap opera squeezed into 22 yeah. minutes. Yeah, it, it's yeah. like a flashback to all of the payoff scenes with none of the setup scenes. Right. Yeah. That's right. the reason why there's like a lot of just like, that's the reason why it's all exposition and there's a lot of like, oh yeah, I did this thing. I need to tell you the entirety of my plan. Mm-hmm. Just because we have no time for you to naturally find it out on your own. But there, there's a ton of like, just tons of reversals and uh, a combination of exposition and narrative. Uh, it's It gets quite complicated. Um, so uh, Kimber tells us there's, there won't be a story because Jim is gone and it's all her fault. And she's dressed like she's going to prom with a Morton Joe from Fury Road. Mm. <laughs> uh, except she's speaking live from her Barbie dream house. Um, and then we slide right into flashback one. And they, they, this isn't super clear from the beginning, but they establish in flashback one that this happened three months ago. Oh, they did? Yeah. So there's a time she, scale. Okay. because. Oh. Okay. Yeah, there when, really when is. When did they say three months? Because one of the questions that I had, uh, one of the, the very, very clear timestamps, I'm sure you're going to get into it, was the three-day periodicity yeah. on the boat. Right. Yeah. Where, like, yeah. they're on this boat, and during the time on the boat, apparently, like, their whole, the, everything changes. There's, like, no time for mm-hmm. Jerrica to ever yeah. take any vacation. Yeah. Because yeah. the world moves so fast for her. Yeah. By the way, that was a great line. What is that? It's a boat. <laughs> I love that part. I was uh, like, that's so good. Yeah. So Ryan's uh, hot and all, but he's a condescending dick. He's he has uh, great hair. Ryan's like, Ryan's hair a classic. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, Although so, his master uh, plan seems to be to go on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I can't can't really fault him that. Honestly. Yeah, and he, and he seems really okay with it. Like. Yeah. He gives up, he has, like, a very good music career that he just fucking is willing to throw away at the drop of a hat. For vacation. For yeah. Va- yeah, for vacation. Just for vacation. Yeah. Um, anyway, in our flashback, Jerrica is practicing terrible mental health and uh, type A personality traits. Uh, she's super stressed about managing the graphic design, lighting, and costume design for the holograms, and also trying to be a good person, which is just not possible she's gotta lay down that hammer and be a stone cold bitch mm-hmm. 
anyway. Yeah, I, that, that was a pretty telling line when she was like, we, we got it. We have to make sure the colors match the outfits. Right. And then her, her employee walks away, okay, you're the boss. And she's like, no, I don't <laughs> I want you to agree with me because I'm the boss. I want you to agree with me. Yeah, I want you to agree with me because I'm right. Um, anyway, Jerrica snaps at Kimber, and they have a fight. And Kimber, in pretty much every scene where she shows up, she almost lets it slip that Jerrica's secret identity is Jen because she's fucking worthless. <laughs> I never got that because I never actually got the secret identity part. Right. But like, that, that's amazing because so she, she does keep saying, like, Jim, Jer- Jim. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yep. Constantly. <laughs> um, they have a fight. Um, and then uh, once that, that establishes that Jerrica's really stressed out. And then we, then we skip to the concert where Jim, also Jerrica, is completely freaking out. Because uh, we learned that Rio, who is her on-again, off-again love interest and stage manager, his van has broken and, down. And Rhodey. Like, yes, essentially and, the Rhodey, too. Yeah, his van is broken down. Because that cuck is janky. <laughs> <laughs> it's so 80s, though. Like, actually, that's probably more 70s than 80s. And not the fact that they have this incredibly large stage production with lasers and all this other stuff. But their stage manager still drives a van. Yeah, like he doesn't have a tour bus or like a semi truck full of their stuff. They have no redundancy no. in their operation. Like it's all dependent on one person. I'm sorry yeah, about yeah. The dogs barking. Uh, especially it's for like it a being 1982 like a... GMC cargo van. And it's also <laughs> like a but, 1500 but you're, series. You're right about this. Is like they they have no backup plan for this like multi what seems like a multi-million dollar operation. Right. Where they're oh, yeah. putting on like live stage performances on the reg. What, and it's like everything is contingent and hinged upon this one guy in his Volkswagen band. Well, we I his think Volkswagen we see some band, hints band. of like what a ter- what what a terrible person Jerrica is. We see some hints of that throughout the episode, and this is one of them because she, she's running this she's running this very multi million dollar operation on like a shoestring production, and yeah. uh, because she uh, is squeezing profits out of every part of her business uh, for her own personal personal interests and i think that's yeah. proven by the fact later that when the misfits take it over they run the business into the ground they go into deeper into debt because the business if it isn't profitable if you run it ethically yeah uh, yep i was actually gonna get there too that was gonna be <laughs> one of my things <laughs> <laughs> um anyway uh they're uh Jarek is mad and they have to set up without rio um and we flash back to Kimber's room and we learn that she's getting bossed around by a member of the Misfits whose name is Pizzazz. Where I'm sure if we were longtime viewers of this show, we would be very shocked. But as first time yes. viewers of the show, we were very confused. Yep. Exactly. I was like, who the hell is this lady? It's it's like <laughs> as if we were talking to Roadblock and Cobra Commander came in and said, Hey, did you finish the laundry? Yeah, true. It's exactly like that. <laughs> I didn't really watch G.I. Joe. <laughs> I, I watched enough of it to know those names, but yeah. All right. But no, I that, her, and then the female members of the Stingers, and some of these other ones, it was, I don't want to say it was super confusing, because you eventually kind of figured it out, but it was, like, I was just like, yeah. who, who is this lady, and why you is ha- she you so had to like. You had to go off of, like, the makeup and stuff and kind of follow that around. Yeah. Hon- honestly, I thought Pizzazz was um, 
great, honestly. Like she she was she was doing her best with the the cards that she was dealt in this situation. She was trying to make sure that the Starlight operation was running the way it was supposed to, mm-hmm. and she really got a bum rap the entire time. I would have been stressed out if I was her as well. But you know, she was attempting to practice good mental health because she took time mm-hmm. to play croquet to actually like unwind a little bit, do what she could. Yeah. I th- she was just a better boss, honestly. I, I don't know about better. I mean, you know, it's, it's part of the boss's job to make sure that the business continues to operate, but she might have been just been a better person than, yeah. Jer- than yeah. Jerrica. Um, At the very least, she was a more honest person, I guess I should say. Oh, uh, that's that's true. A, more, or, um, a little more mentally uh, practiced wellness. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so at this point, we switch to Car- Carmen Alonzo, um, who is speaking to the camera for her flashback, flashback number two. Um, and she is remembering that a new band called the Stingers are performing and that Jem seemed to like Riot, the lead singer. And Riot looks like a 70s Ted Nugent, but dresses like Alice Cooper licked the wallpaper acid. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He has incredible flowing mane of hair. And he has he has these golden pipes too. Like this is when we get his song. Yeah. And honestly, like I was digging the song. I was watching it and I was listening to the song and I was like, you know what, Jim? You go, girl. And the song I might was, be right there with you. The song was all about how great your life will be if you just do what he says. Yeah. yeah, don't oh, yeah. don't yeah. listen don't listen to the lyrics. Just listen to the music. Like it's like <laughs> Yeah. Like it was slapping. Yeah, I'm gonna keep saying slapping. And you also shouldn't the drugs watch the and background money that are coming your way. Because if you look at the background singers, they're dancing to completely different music. Anyway, they all have yellow and black outfits, all the stingers. You can, they're color coordinated pretty consistently. Mm-hmm. Always yellow and black. Um and uh, Riot is the man because he macks on Jim while performing his set. So he's on stage. He's macking on a girl behind stage. Um, and uh, he has a real like cult leader date rapist vibe. Um, yeah. And the, the music kind of sounds like Wham, sort of. Like a smooth Wham. Like if Wham had Yanni in it. So if Wham was Yam, <laughs> it would be this band. They sound like yeah. Yam. Um, interesting, because that might have been what they were eating on the island. Uh, probably, yep. I'd have to imagine. So so yeah. you, you bring up a good point, though, uh, both of you. It seems like maybe Riot was actually performing a regular set of music, and what we were watching was actually Jim's daydream of Riot, of we- him coming back and singing to her a different song while... The rest of the band is actually like dancing along to the actual music that's being performed by Riot. Oh yeah, I, I could see that. Like Jim was fan- it's very interesting. Her mental yeah. health is so bad that she yeah. is actually hearing a different song. Like she's yeah. having a psychotic break before our eyes, mm-hmm. and it's all it's all centered around uh, Riot. Yeah. Actually, this is a pretty good theme for the show. Actually, maybe Riot was the one that was kidnapped by Jim. Woof. <laughs> well. <laughs> 
<laughs> that would that would make a little bit more sense though if you think about it, because Riot is like, oh, I'm going to kidnap Jen because she's she's overly stressed. But Riot has his own responsibilities. We even said at the beginning he has a successful band that he has to perform with. Yes. And and he, why would he walk away from that? It would make more sense if Jim was like, hey, can you come over here and talk to me? And like knocks him unconscious, takes him on the boat, and all of this is just in her mind. Hey um, guys, to yeah. keep us on track, we're like an hour in, and we're only three minutes into the show. <laughs> I, I just want to point that out. Uh, so yeah, we do see Jim's fantasy, which I don't, because we're in a flashback from Carmen. And we're moving on. Okay. Yeah, we're in a flashback yep. from Carmen, but we see Jim's fantasy of hanging out with Riot in a montage, and then she goes up and dances with him on in, on stage. It's inferred she goes up and dances right. with him on stage. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then and back... then there's some actual good puns in the song. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah get him. What was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was that you, you're going to be, um, if you're under his spell, you'll be running riot. <laughs> so backstage behind the curtain, there's a limo at the secret entrance, and they climb yep. in and hope it takes on the Mexico. What's uh, in that purple drink, though? Right. God, the purple drink. Okay. It's I'm purple just drink. curious it's... because it seems to have worked on her. So I, I just want to know what the purple drink is. You think Riot Ruby? For, 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 for future reference, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm, I want to find that purple drink, you know, to use on anyone. But, I, I mean, what is that purple drink? The purple drink is actually a combination of prune juice Oof. and and, and, the, and the blue milk from Star Wars. <laughs> Ruby uh, colada. It just actually say, cleans out your system. Just say Ruby colada. Um. You're right, David. They they get into a car, and that's the end of our um, flashback two, where uh, and but at the end we find Carmen getting yelled at by a different bad misfit lady. Now I think Carmen at one point says "vulnerable," in this really <laughs> weird. That's right. In the beginning, now is that is says, that like a French accent that she gave up on halfway through that word, or what, what is the deal with Carmen? <laughs> Carmen is supposed to be Hispanic, but the okay. Hispanic um, oh, and uh, Mexican accents in this show are abysmal. Oh, horrible! It is so fucking racist. Um, like it is horrific. Are you guys talking about the boat rental guy? Yes, the, okay. the boat, the boat yeah. rental guy yeah, the boat rental in guy the man. episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where he says C. Is it racist to point and out that racism? Establishes him as a Mexican dude. The way we do it, apparently, yes, Mike. Okay. Um, so we cut to Riot and Jem living in a grass shack somewhere. Uh, I love how Matt's struggling to keep us on task here. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's just like every other time we talk. Um, <laughs> That's uh, why he's the game master. <laughs> Riot. The game master. <laughs> so. A riot addresses the camera and saying he gets he always gets what he wants, and we go right into flashback number three, um, in which riot offers to take Jim on a cruise to exotic Mexico. And he talks like Mexico, like it's going to the <laughs> fucking moon. <laughs> well, here's here's one of the questions I had. Do you know where uh, Starlight Industries is located? Like where their headquarters is? So it's a three is day it? cruise, right? So I actually think they're probably. You have to assume it's in- L.A. I, it might be LA. Or that's a good. That's a good call. It might be LA. I was also thinking um, uh, Miami. Oh yeah, yeah. Either, either way, you'd have to. You know, it, it takes time to travel to Mexico. Because if it was if it was New York, it would have been like I don't know two weeks. That's a, yeah, that's a fast cruise if it's come from New York. Yeah. 
No, no, no. Everything I I saw in this episode either screams California or Miami. Yeah, mm. there's yeah, there's no, no New York no. in there. No, that's true because because there were palm trees all over the place, and when they were like actually showing some of the intro stuff. So, um, anyway, he kind of he kind of pressures her into going with him, um, and uh, she objects, but they've already left. So she says, yeah, you know, pressure, pressures is, is not that that good of a word. He tricks her because they're on the boat, and he's like, but Jim. We've already gone. Right. She's just like, uh huh, yeah, we are, haven't we? Um, I so guess Mexico would be nice. She gets into it though. They, they have a montage number two, in which they dance and dine and gamble on the boat, which was a kind of a, an adult thing. Um, and at the end of that montage, Riot tells Jim she they doesn't need her friends or family; that she only needs him. To which she seems to have no response. <laughs> Um, now we skip to uh, Aja Layeth, the Holograms guitarist. She's going to have flashback number four for us. Um, and in flashback number four, we find Kimber climbing out of the 20th floor window to avoid Starlight Music's creditors on tied together sheets. Yeah, th- this this was the insane part. Yes. When she was saying, I don't know. How Jerica does, how Jerica stays ahead of the creditors. It's like, it's been less than three fucking days. Right. How over leveraged is this goddamn company? Well, I think that, you know, like they went into debt to fund this this tour, uh, but the tour wasn't profitable because Jem ran off, right? For Um, three days? The time scale does not make sense. That's a lot of blow. She finds Aja reading a postcard on the 19th floor and climbs in a very conveniently open window. And it seems to like not be hard for her at all. Um, this postcard is, like, insanely long. Uh, but the gist is that Jen loves Riot and is going to stay in Mexico. And then suddenly... In it, though, she, she's also apologetic, though. She's like, I'm, I'm sorry, didn't mean to break your heart, Rio. Right, and she, she name-drops Rio. Like, yeah. For the listeners, okay. can we give a timestamp on the episode? Uh, Don't remember. Six minutes. <laughs> We're getting close to about for, halfway. For anyone who yeah. was say, for anyone ha- halfway who, through the halfway who point, who has not watched the episode and wants to follow along <laughs> while we talk about it, <laughs> going slower than the actual episode. Yes. Yep. Easily. Um, now suddenly, Pizzazz is talking to us, uh, and she's in Kim in. Uh, uh, Jerica's office um, and she says that with the stingers and the holograms gone the misfits as the only remaining band in the world is now popular and rich <laughs> um, can we talk about how many angry people are outside the door like yeah, those are all the creditors that's, how, that's, how that's many, the massive number of creditors they are, that but they're not home, it, that's not during this moment that's happening in flashback four so right now yeah, but, we're in the in the in the modern or the, the current time. Yeah. But seriously, like, even in the eighties, how many creditors would be sent to one location? I, w- I would feel like they would just consolidate and send one creditor. No, no. It's how many creditors would go to one location after three days? Right. <laughs> yeah. How many would go in person? I, I understand yeah, I mean, that back then there was some more people. Like the, the, no, no, they had 80s. fax machines. Yeah, it was the 80s. They would have sent fax machines. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't one guy with a cell phone that you know had like 40 creditors on the line. 
that this would be like each individual creditor, but that's a lot of people banging on one door for what? A couple bad shows? <laughs> well, exactly. I, this is, yeah, I, it I, seems this is how it, badly, how down to the line Jerrica is running her business. Yeah. It, it um, seems it, like over, it, it seems like one of those overproduced um, moments of, of just like, yeah, no, you're no, saying this child's is not realistic. It's forced drama. Yeah, it forced what, drama. Thank you. What would have been much more drama. interesting? What would have been much more interesting if, if, if it was like a horde of angry fans that had paid premium to be able to see Jim and the holograms like the night before, mm-hmm. and they're still like raw and pissed about it, so they're coming to the building trying to demand their money back because Jim wasn't and there. That, and then yeah, because Jim wasn't there, and then it like it, it snowballs into a court case. Like that would make a little bit more sense than what they do here to try to, like, force some type of drama yeah. or right. some type of um, Meanwhile, meanwhile yeah, in, yeah. in flashback number fucking five, uh, Kimber is forced to re- represent Starlike Music in what is, like, uh, seems like bankruptcy court, but it's really more just, like, plot court. Plot yeah, court. it's like, Ooh. Judge Dad is here to tell me what I have to do. I, yeah. I like that term, because I think we saw that last episode, plot court. Yeah, we saw plot court. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and she's ordered by. But she was hot. Should we, should we do another drop of the uh, the Law and Order drop? Dong 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 dong. Yes. Um, nice, nice. In plot court, she's she's ordered to or forced to sell the company to the Misfits manager Eric. Um, and she does this so that the darling, sweet little Starlight right. girls aren't sent to wait, other wait, wait. hubs. Was that Eric? I thought that that guy's name was Mr. Gabor. It's Eric Gabor. It's Eric yeah. Gabor. He mm-hmm. looks so much older here than he does later on. Like, he looks yes. like an old fat guy here, and then later on he looks like a like, middle-aged businessman. Ooh, I well, didn't catch maybe that. Maybe he worked out. <laughs> you know, maybe he, he got his well, life Adam. together and said, I'm not going to be a fat guy anymore. You think he'd yeah, skip one day? And in two days he got <laughs> thin again. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, he went from, you know, he went from being the 80s, Maybe like... he did a whole bunch of blow and, you know, got... And reverse-aged? You know, he... he <laughs> He would, well, you know, we all know what the like the age reversing factors that cocaine can do. Went, it can make you skinny. Went and from a fat energy cat to a silver and, fox, and and you know can make your heart randomly stop all of a sudden. So yeah, you know maybe he just got the eighties workout. Maybe he did a thigh master uh, with David, Suzanne Summers. Maybe he David, did a thigh master. I love that. I love that joke. Can you say it one more time without Mike talking in the background? He went from a fat cat to a silver fox. Nice. <laughs> he went from a fat cat to a sir fox. He went from a fat cat to a sir fox. Please keep Mike's repetition of our jokes in. Um, uh, so the little Leg-a-day. fucking the little little starlight snots. Uh, the little fucking starlight fox. <laughs> the little starlight snots beg to stay together, and so Kimber is forced to sell the company. Um, and the backstory here is that Eric has was used to be the co-owner of Starlight Music, and he was forced out. Really? By Jerrica. Yes. Really? Yes. And Jesus. This is when we learn the Season single... one spoilers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. Oh, boy. I think it happens, like, before... I think we come into season one like, where that's already happened. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he's, like... That's why he's bound and determined to ruin the uh, holograms. I think this is a good time to talk about his sexual awakening. 
This is when this isn't. is pretty. This is pretty amazing, though. Like like Jerica was so cutthroat that she was able to edge out a partner, take over the company entirely, leverage it to the point where she's trying to squeeze like every tiny bit of profit she can out of the company. Create a false and, identity. Like, Create <laughs> yes. a false identity. Mix mix the profits of the company with her own personal profits in order to have company owned assets that she uses for herself and for her for her band. I still and, rock jeggings, and, and by the is way. still is still perceived as like a super nice person. And this this comes to like the the thing we now learn, which is that the holograms were under contract at Starlight Music. So Pizzazz just makes them and the Stingers be misfits and record a hit yeah. album. Yeah, be, yeah. because yeah. because more band members equals better music. Well, I mean, these are the, <laughs> assumably she she's now a super group with band members from from the hottest bands in the world, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But this says some really dark things about how Jerrica runs her business. Like she essentially, uh, if you think about Owns it, she's everybody. she's yeah she's enslaved all of her friends and sisters. It, it, yeah, that is insane. Like she, she's she basically pulled the same thing that uh, I can't even remember the name of the record company, but the, that happened to Prince when he was under contract, right, with the name Prince, and that's the reason why like he changed his name to the symbol. Mm-hmm. It was an attempt to try to break Get out free of, of yeah, and the, like, it, but she's still perceived as like a good person. The entire like she's just amazing. Like her ability to like deceive everybody. And she's a shrewd business person. Yeah, and well, I, the holograms overall, like I, I tried to sort out their like um, their whole ecosystem. So they have the holograms where she is the lead singer, and yeah. those are under contracts to Starlight Music, where Jerrica is the CEO, and that seems to be connected to the Starlight Foundation, which I assume she's the head of, which is connected to Starlight House, which is I don't know what that is. It seems to be like Ronald McDonald House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be like the orphanage or something, like an actual orphanage. Right, but then that's connected Uh, to the Starlight Mansion. (laughs) Uh, This is connected to the Starlight Mansion, which is where they live, and it might be the same as Starlight House. It's not totally clear. And then she has she has this slave labor force in the Starlight Girls, and all of this has to be controlled by numerous holding and shell companies, all named Starlight. It's insane. So she, she really was like the Monsanto of the age, of that age essentially. Oof. Like this, this is really like this really is like '80s corporate uh, shenanigans, yeah. all wrapped up into a kids' show with music. Like this is insane. This is essentially the boiler room. We should, is she, we is she running a scheme or something? Drag Monsanto into this. We should probably like you know say this is more like the Amazon. <laughs> Or Microsoft. So you, you'd rather piss off Amazon than Monsanto, Mike? Yeah. This is more like a Raytheon missile defense systems. Exactly. Mm. Yes. I, I'm sure 80% of their profits is the uh, foster checks from the government. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. Let, You're saying Black- she's also a welfare queen. <laughs> let's do, uh-huh. let's do uh, Blackwater. Well, well clearly Starlight Records yeah. isn't profitable. Right, we'll get yeah, we'll get yeah. to easily not. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing. Starlight Records doesn't have any other bands; it's only the holograms. Yeah, but that's actually that's actually pretty common for most record labels. There's like maybe one or two big earners, and then you've got a lot of crud. Well, well, that's Matt true knows. for like a lot a lot of the record companies that were designed by the bands that that run them, like the Dave Matthews Band, whatever the company is, and uh, I think Fire Dancer. Has their own. 
Wow, yeah, we're, we're yeah. reaching back into the but, 80s for these references too, aren't we? But none, I don't think any of those corporations are set up to the same scale that Starlight Records seems to be. Starlight Records has like their own building. It has their own mansion. They have like multiple foundations working underneath it. I like Empire doubt. Records? And yeah. I think in, in other in episodes the they get they, they get their own record, their own radio station, etc. Really? Oh, With really? John Cusack? Yeah. Um, Empire, Empire Records did not have John Cusack in it. Uh, so what was the it had, you made earlier? It had Renee right? Russo. No, not Renee Russo. No, Jesus. Renee uh, Zellweger <laughs> and uh, Liv Tyler. <sighs> I don't think it had Renee no, Zellweger. Who was the guy? Uh, what was the movie with? Um, High Fidelity is what. High Fidelity, of. yeah, and it also had um, the Jack guy Black. from um, Jack Black. It also had uh, the guy from um, um, the uh, the prison movie, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Tim Robbins. Huh? Yeah, Tim Robbins. Tim Robbins, yeah. He was the he with was his the patchouli uh, stink. Patchouli stink. That's right. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. All right. Uh, that brings us into music video number two, <laughs> where uh, Pizzazz and the Frankenstein Girl Band uh, perform a song to, called "Top of the Charts," and uh, the, it's a revenge song where they said that uh, where uh, Pizzazz says she she wasn't able to do it and. Um, and now she's showing them. Um, and it was okay. But it, 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 I'd say it's the suckiest song of the three. It was yeah. definitely the suckiest song of the three. It was the worst of the three. Like, yeah. the lyrics, they really didn't... Uh, you don't necessarily need to rhyme lyrics, but, like, nothing kind of clicked. It seemed forced. Yeah, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't so bad, though. Like, it actually, for, for a song in a kid's cartoon, it wasn't... It wasn't bad. Right. It was just no. the worst out of the three. Now, did you think oh, it yeah. sounded like a ten-piece pop band? <laughs> no, it really no. did not. <laughs> no. It was one guy on his uh, like twelve-inch synthesizer. Um, um, but <laughs> it did it did a fairly good job of explaining her motivation and kind of continuing the plot, like more than a lot of the other songs. Mm. Yeah, it absolutely did. And Matt, the point that I was uh, I was looking to make a little bit ago here is. Where you were talking about Jem, like essentially being two faced, mm-hmm. like her band was extremely two faced. All of a sudden, you have a band that is without their leader, without their front man slash front woman, and now all of a sudden they're playing in another band and seemingly like supportive in this music video to make this song. Like it wasn't like, you know what I'm saying? They, they weren't like just completely flatlining the performances or anything else like that. They were. They were playing in what we can only essentially assume was a good showing of this, this music video, this track, right? You know, this concert. So that you, you're saying that they should have done the like uh, the T Pain thing, where he they just came on stage and they said, "I'm contractually obligated to be here." Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Every time they're like, lyrics if they're came really out. truly, yeah. If they're really truly like loyal to Gem, that you think they would have been like. Yeah, but, but that's that's a tough and call. We're only here for but Jim's call. But there's something else have, that is, have you have you ever played music, Derek? Have you ever just like felt the music inside you and it just <laughs> had to come out? Yeah. Did you, did like, you ever they, have they that just, like, inside you? They just, they just had a letter release later in the show that makes me go with kind of the two faced scheme of you know these eighty shows or essentially what Jim Jim has a very very specific line that she states 
coming up, and we'll let Matt continue to go through the uh, the summary or whatever. But I want to address it when we get there. That I was like, when it happened, I went, "What the fuck was that?" But is this the reason why the plot is so dense? Because they have to spend so much time on these music videos. Um, uh, it could probably. be. Probably, they yeah. do a fairly good job of like getting work out of the music videos. Like they introduce Riot with a music video. They really yeah, explain yeah. Pizzazz with a music video. Really, the only wasted one is the last one. The last one, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, goddamn flashback. I'm number six. <laughs> we're back with Jim and Riot at the. We're at the 11 minute mark of the episode, Mike. This, this is the halfway mark. We're yes. not the halfway mark, Mike. And, and of, the, of of this show, we have two, of right? Show. We have yes. two shows, yeah. Yep. That's why and, we recorded for four hours last time. Yeah. Um, so, flashback goddamn six. The cruise ship arrives in Mexico, and uh, Riot states that they've been on it for three days. Um, yeah, this, and, this, and, is, this is where we get the three-day number. This is where we just, this is why we keep saying for three days. And this also, that's been happening. This is hairstyle number three for Jim, number four for Jerrica. <laughs> so Jim wants to get back because uh, she says her multiple organizations need her. And uh, Riot convinces Jim to stay t- so that she can watch him water ski. What's the actual fuck? <laughs> like, what? Yeah. His, his exact line was, you haven't seen me water ski. And uh, she says, uh, are, are you, you any good? good? And then he continues to water ski. I, I don't know. Like I've used this line a few times before in the past. Um, doesn't it, usually work out that well. It's a but... real. Yeah, it's a real come up and see my etchings kind of come on. Yeah. See, see I, was yeah. Thinking, I was thinking more. Watch me jump oh. off the diving board like a kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Or or um yeah. It makes me think. Well, of... well he, he has that kid moment when he finishes water skiing and he gets back on the boat. And as he's coming out of the water, like he was in the water, he's coming out of the water, his hair is perfect. Mm-hmm. So obviously he has some sort of like water hydrophobic hairspray thing going on that just repels all the water. And he just looks at um, at Jim and says, aren't I perfect? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and this is the scene. It really is we, like a little kid thing to say. Um, this is where we learn that in this scene that he was the one who pretended to fix Rio's van and sabotaged it. And he used yes. Jem's anger to lure away from him, to lure him away. This is all. Can been, we talk about that? Yes, this is all a fiendish pan from Ryan. It's a real unforced error. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. <laughs> so this is this is one of my major like note points in this. Um, step one: How in the world did Rio not recognize Riot as the mechanic? His hair is enormous. <laughs> like, like, man, this this mechanic really has incredible hair that spans the length of his shoulders. It's true. And is this, like, goldenrod color. How in the hell did that go on? Well, I think we've, we, we haven't talked about this much, but it'll come up towards the end. Rio's a bitch. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Rio's a total bitch. Yeah. Um, like Rio, like, and it was brought up earlier that Rio is essentially a groupie who is Jem's boyfriend slash love interest slash whatever. Right. But she still treats him like shit, which is yeah. very, very indicative in the fact that she was super pissed off that his van broke down. Like, you're the CEO of the record label that supports your van or supports your band. 
But the thing that you're most pissed off about is that your groupie's van broke down, and you're very clearly a multi-million, multi-tens of million dollars record label. The guy who sets up your speakers drives around a GMC 1982 1500 series van. I mean, that's that's obviously like, not I, in good condition because it breaks I, down. I think this again points to like Jerica's exactly. character, where um, she's very uncomfortable with anyone being her peer. She has to date someone who is clearly like her her employee and less than her. She's mm-hmm. enslaved all her friends and sisters. She uh, hangs out with 12 twelve year old girls. Like she she can't deal with Riot being her equal. It's it's threatening. Yeah, which is weird because they're like. The whole relationship she's had with Riot thus far has been like a weird role reversal where she's been submissive to him mm. for pretty much the entire time where it seems that he's he's being dominant by like choosing all the events they're doing, uh, forcing her to come along with him on his adventures and everything. So it's almost like she, maybe it is really just like, she was like, oh, I need a break from being in charge all the time. I think they even say that in there. So but, like giving, giving up is her kink. Y- yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In this particular instance, I could say it is. Um, but but I, I, I do like the, the line delivery from Riot that uh, uh, when they're talking about Rio, she says that she's in love with Rio, and Riot says, I'm smarter. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. I'm, I'm better I'm than him. I'm smarter, stronger, more clever than he by far. <laughs> and I just thought that, that I thought that was like a pretty good line delivery because I've used that in the past as well, just talking <laughs> about Matt. Um, but all the girls still go with Matt. So it never works. We're so. both married. You understand that. <laughs> <laughs> but who says then he, anyways? Um, then writers. he by far. Right. Um, I, and this is when we learned that Riot is a master manipulator, and we're all just putty to him. He sees the world just as a massive putty for him to shake. I can uh, agree with that. Anyway. I'd, I'd, I'd to go with that. Jim if tries he wants to, to pay to take me on vacation, I'd go. Yeah. Yeah, I go Riot. Yeah, Jem Jem yeah. really wants to talk to Rio, and right. uh, Riot his, his name isn't Rio, no matter how much he dances on the sand. <laughs> Later, they do dance on the sand. Um, <laughs> Jem tries to leave, and the two struggle for control of the speedboat. And for some reason, there's a quick shot in there where Jem turns off the speedboat, and then they crash into a remote beach. Yeah, that's very strange. Commercial so, break. So- so here's here's the thing though. This is where time dilates, right? So we know that up to this point, everything that's happened before has been three days. Mm-hmm. But okay. but Matt, you you said that the course of this episode actually takes three months. Yeah. So I I think that like I think pretty much um, everything, all the flashback, all all things that are occurring in the flashbacks at that point in time, we're probably close to the end of the three months. Where they're okay. flashing back, right? Because at that point, so it's Pizazz, almost, so, Pizazz controls the company. So what you're thinking is that that Jim, that Jim and um, Jim. I'm sorry, I'm oh, sorry, Jim. not Jim, but 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 uh, uh, Riot. Whenever Riot does his flashbacks, it's always to like much later in the events of what happened, and then when everybody else flashbacks, it's to something much more recent. Uh, well, we're in a flashback. Like we, we we go to commercial break in a flashback. We're still in flashback six. Flashback six includes the water skiing and the crashing on the beach, because yes, yeah. because we start this flashback 
at on the deserted island. We now we have now found out why they're why they're living in a grass shack. While they're deserted, yeah, right. So, but but we're not we're now caught up with real time, and you're saying the real time events has been three months. So that that tells me that they have been living on this island for two months mm-hmm. in like three weeks. Yeah, yeah. They they got on so the they, island on, on day four. On day four, so yeah. they they've been so for three months they've been living together on this island. And then you're yeah. saying the uh, takeover maybe happened only a month or two before the current time. Well, the, yes, like I'd say the takeover happened early, early in month one. Uh, then they recorded the album in month two and got to the top of the charts because we still need for them to go bankrupt, which I so assume as, happens in a month three. Essentially, they just played these flashbacks completely out of order. They they pay, played yes, them for the most part. Yeah. They played them sequentially in order to tell the story, right? Like it makes the story make sense because you really are watching the flashbacks to get the episode. Yeah, but but you're flashing back to different periods of time, rather than a chronological time set that is the flashback saying, "Oh, this is what happened three months ago. Oh, this is what happened two months ago. Oh, this is what happened two weeks ago." It said it's uh it's a this is what happened three months ago. Oh shit, this is what happened two months ago. This is what happened three months ago. This is what happened a month ago. This is what happened mm-hmm. three months ago. This is what happened two days ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we need we need like a primer level diagram. Putting to, a to boat explain. putting a boat crash at the start of the episode does not hurt the the flow of information. Yeah. It it actually would make a little bit more sense if they just had a flashback of Riot explaining the entire riot timeline. Where he and Jim get stranded, and then the rest of it is the rest of the holograms trying to figure out what the fuck to do. No, I mean, I, I think I, I actually think the sequence, the sequence of events, kind of makes sense because this this lets a, there's a reveal in here where now we've now revealed that they crashed the boat and they they're on this uh, why they were on this like desert island scenes that we saw briefly before, and it gives us like it gives us these dramatic beats that happen at different points and early on our question is how did we get here right the world's like if we're a watcher of this show we're like the world's been turned a whack upside down you know um well, well you go ahead and watch the original that's... cut of the season four of arrested development oh yeah yes that's exactly what this is isn't it <laughs> that's impossible to follow also uh matt i think that you got the colloquialisms over the 1980s spot on it's perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Um, anyway, uh, uh, so we, we after commercial break, we, we're on the beach, and Riot is waking up Jem by dabbing coconut water on her face, and he's and, talking, and reassuring us that, that she's fine. Can we? Yeah. Can we talk about that? Yes. Like when I watched that, I was like, if you suffer essentially a head trauma, like I don't think putting coconut water on whatever sort of cranial injury you have is going to be the correct course of action. Well, he tells us it's just cuts and bruises. And we've we've really trusted Riot up to this point. <laughs> I mean, but have we? Honestly, like, up until this point, he's been like, this has been all part of my plan. And you're just like, dude, you've roofied her. Well, this is, <laughs> I mean, we, we, he's just had his heel turn, right? Like, we've been unsure about him, even though he's a cre- clearly a creepy date rapist. Yeah. Like, yeah. he's just had his heel turn. And well, he's been himself. talking like a villain the entire time. He just hadn't yeah. seemed to be doing anything particularly evil. Right. The villainous. That's yeah. true. He's just been talking, yeah. about, like, very evilly about going on vacation. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. and how great it was to live on this island. Um, right. 
anyway, he's talking about how perfect the island is for him. Uh, and uh, at that moment, we get our our really fourth wall breaking moment yeah. where Jim asks him who he's talking to, which in a pretty insane episode, this is probably the most insane. It's like, shh, shh, you have had trauma. <laughs> right. right. Uh, anyway, cut back to the Starlight Mansion, and I'm just going to do like a real quick occupancy cap of who's staying in the Starlight Mansion. We have the 12 children. We have the two former Stingers, now Misfits. We have the four former Holograms, now Misfits. We have the four original Misfits, and it's inferred that both Rio and Eric are also living there. So there's 24 people not counting support staff. I I actually, I counted 26. Ooh, where'd you get the other two? I don't know. I had, was it, there were 12 kids. 12 kids. Two stingers. Two stingers. Four, four misfits. Four misfits. Wait, wait, all the band members. Four holograms. All, wait, all of the other band members also moved into the house? Oh, yeah, that's true. Do the stingers, the other stingers, get forced to move D- in? Didn't, didn't, they, they they didn't they have their own lives before this? <laughs> <laughs> that's insane. I mean, I'm going to have to go with no. Because yeah. I mean, yeah. Pazaz infers that like the stingers are essentially non-people. Because she says, like, they were nothing without Riot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, well in a, it's also kind of a, an inference that most of these people are not people because it seems like they're owned yes. by the companies they work for. Yeah. So. Um, Reaganomics. The, Reaganomics, exactly. Reaganomics. <laughs> um, and I will. Yeah, because like, this was 1985, right? This is like peak Reaganomics. This is probably in 1988 or 1987. So I will let you in on one secret bit of knowledge is that the stinger, the two stinger uh, women in the band, uh, Minx and an, I forget the other one's name. They, um, we never know more than their nicknames. Everyone else, every other character has like their stage identity and then their real identity. And we okay. never learn the real identity of the two misfit women, uh, the two stinger women. The two stingers, yeah. Yeah. Minx and, and whatever her name is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so anyway, after uh, a quick fight with Rio, the Stinger girls, Minx in particular, reveals that the postcard they got from Jem was a forgery made by Riot. Um, because, and then, because just like every other supervillain, he cannot resist signing his own work. Right. He's the um, he's the Riddler of the uh, <laughs> of the Gemiverse. Um. And then Kimber and the other holograms come in, and Kimber all, almost gives up fucking Jerrica again. Every time with this girl. Uh, so the holograms run out. Uh, the holograms and Rio run out and steal the holomobile, and uh, I assume drive to Mexico. Um, what's, uh, what's funny to me is like she keeps almost giving up the secret identity that doesn't really matter. And I imagine like everybody knows... And it's just sort of like Kimber and Jerrica are the only two that care. are oblivious to the fact that everybody else knows and doesn't care. Yeah, well, it's see, not a like, lot of the rest. It's not like she attends high school and has to keep her identity hidden from her classmates. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, like Spider Man. A lot of the like Spider. Like Spider. Like, like Spider, Spider Montana. Like, <laughs> like Sp- Spider Montana. <laughs> 
Um, well, a lot of the um, like a lot of the rest of the um, series is seem to be to be premised around a love triangle between Jerica, Jem, and Rio, where Rio wants to date both Jerica and Jem, not knowing that he's attracted to the same woman in her mirror. Like Spider Man. <laughs> like Spider Man. That is like like that is one insane, unintentional threesome that they must have on a regular basis. Uh, can I, can you imagine how disappointed he would be when they were like, "Yeah, we'll both do it with you," and then just one person shows up, and she's like half Jim, half Jerry. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> she just she uses one earring, or he can't get it up. Uh, anyway, uh, the uh, the the Starlight Girls uh, distract. <laughs> Uh, pizzazz by blackmailing her, asking for clothes. God damn it, Mike! <laughs> what, did Mike, did Mike ruin something? I'm sorry. Our our our, our roadies uh, van broke down. We don't have our stereo system up. Let's try this concert again in 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> How did I do that? It's 30 minutes now because we're over 40. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we're are, we just nine, gonna... we're, are we nine minutes into is, the is the joke is that the you, time gets longer and longer? Yeah, <laughs> you realize that by the by the time we get to the end of the series, it's going to be like we got to wait five years because I'm yeah. forty now. <laughs> um. Anyway, and now in Mexico, uh, Rio and the holograms pick up Jem's trail uh, by talking to the single least Mexican man ever. I didn't realize this became the Matt show. This is the format of the fucking show, Mike. He's doing the goddamn summary. Uh, but how did the summary when, become when we, longer than the show? When we switch to the other show, it'll be the Adam show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, but... and, and the summary is longer than the show because that's what we did last time. It's yes. a it's an analysis, not a summary. I'm sorry, I should call it an analysis. Right. We, we, sh- we should call it uh, what it is. It's. A fucking long, drawn-out narration of exactly what's going on during the show, but we're not watching the show. We're listening to it. Wait, did you, did to you the, do uh, this last time, Mike? Mike? Did you do this last time? Did yeah, I? Did I miss? No. I, I think I, I, I might have missed. No? The, okay. uh, I, I might have missed the, the the reason of this podcast. I think by this point in the previous podcast, Mike, you were drunk. I think uh, he's drunk now. I think I'm pretty drunk right now. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that's the whole point of these podcasts is I show up drunk. See, that seems to be the, the whole point of always when we see you. Yeah, well, <laughs> when don't you see me? So I think I the note that sober. I wrote down... When I'm sober, I'm at work. So yeah, nobody sees me then. I don't want to be seen. I'm so so toiling away from the man. My, my note that I have for this point in time in the show is... Um, uh, racist as racists and the racist impressions of Mexicans. Yes. Does the co- and then next I said, does the Coast Guard operate in Mexico? Question for Mike. <laughs> so, I'm not so, Mexican. So, Mike, I didn't I'm say Hispanic. you were. As our disgraced Air Force officer, oh, uh, God. what do you know about the Coast Guard? And does it operate in Mexico? Um, I think that something, something the Coast Guard does um, interdictions. How long has Derek been gone? <laughs> I don't know. He's probably uh, been he, he's been probably spinning out uh, comedic gold this entire time and didn't realize he's muted. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. The Coast Guard does interdictions. Okay. And and you could insert okay. any kind of jokes about inter 
predictions. So, 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 do um, they have uh, transponders on all the boats that tell you when the boat crashes? No, uh, they, he just they got, he got a report. Airplanes, airplanes have transponders. He he got um, a report they were missing. I think really what happened was the the big cruise ship. Yeah, somehow they saw this. Somehow they saw knew this that the boat had crashed. Yeah. They didn't know that yeah, they crashed yet. It, it, like, it, was, it was a big value. cruise ship that was in port, saw this guy, this jackass, take out a, uh, a little dinghy. They mm-hmm. crashed it. They saw him crash it. They didn't give a shit. They yeah. just mentioned it to the people yeah, because, on the dock. Because it's been like and, two and, and a half dock months. Is actually, <laughs> and the dock is actually just like right around the corner. It's like less than a mile away. You can see it from the island. They just didn't care. <laughs> I like your uh, I like your understanding of the geography of this. <laughs> yes. Well, because they, they all jump into like these little motorboats, and they it seems like they get to the location at the very least within the same day. But well, it seems like within the same time of day, like they get there like in the yeah. morning, well, and then they arrive at the island in the morning. I mean, I mean, this show seems to take place in in a perpetual daylight. Like, there's no, yeah. there's never any weather. It's never like uh, well, it, evening. It is nighttime. It's nighttime when they did the show. Yeah. That's true. So they, um, they, they spend all their budget on wardrobe. Will normally have yeah. transponder. Yeah. <laughs> like cruise ships will have a transponder. Um, naval ships will have a transponder. But list all the ships the, that have transponders. The, 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 the point is that the that the uh, Coast Guard seems to know that the boat was lost, but they weren't looking for them. Yeah, yeah, they, they didn't do anything to try it. to find it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that just means that they're, um, you know, tracking something that had lots of drugs on it. Oh, so, so, you, so you think they took, like, some drug lord's dinghy and they're like, the Coast Guard was like, fuck, we're not getting involved in this. We don't want another cartel war. Just No, no. They're, they're we're just going to let them stay there. We're, we're going we're gonna to track them, but we're not going to follow them because it could lead us to the drug lords. So, yeah, it probably had a lot of blow in Enough it. naval talk. Let's get on with the episode. Yeah, let's move on. Um, so back at Starlight. Wait, 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 wait. No, Mike. <laughs> what, what, one more. Okay. Dingy. Poop deck. Jesus. Poop deck right. digging. Okay, I'm done. That was worth it. Um, back at Starlight Music, Pizzazz is freaking out because the foster kids are expensive. Um, and Eric, the manager, comes in and does a really steamy accounting, accounting scene um, and declares it. Oh, start- yeah. Yeah. Takes he, his tie off, unbuttons yeah. his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he has a vest that he like, unbuttons. Um, he declares that Starlight Music is like double bankrupt. They're, you know, like they're more in debt than ever. Um, Can we talk about the machine that he used there? Like it was, it was like an old was school like an accounting, accounting machine. Yeah. Well, it, <clears throat> it was like an accounting, like uh, you know, essentially calculator that had like the scroll reel on. Yeah. But yeah, it was putting out a tape that was that was not a scroll. It was like a ticker tape. Yeah, yeah. Out of almost like a stock, like a stock company. So it was like, what, what are you going to read from this half inch wide, seventy two foot long Numbers. tape? Uh, and, like, scroll <laughs> no, It's just like, one Starlight number. is broke. That's, that's why he's the businessman. That's why he's the accountant. Yeah, that's why they had so, the... Oh, yeah. God. We, we do get a few numbers here, though. And, and here's the part that confused me, because up to this point in time, all of the Starlight girls are represented by three girls. Mm-hmm. So I thought the Starlight girls were three girls. It's 12. And he starts reading, he starts reading off these numbers. $15,000 for clothes. $7,000 for dentistry. Mm-hmm. Four thousand five hundred dollars in books. Three girls. 
for three girls. <laughs> I, that, that's what I thought was just for three <laughs> girls. And I wrote down, I'm so fucking glad I didn't have kids in 1985. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but even for 12 girls during this time frame, $15,000 for clothes? Is, is that not like over $1,000 per girl yes. for clothes? In 1988, Well, you've seen how fly in, their clothes are. In the two months since they took over the company. In the two months <laughs> of the... Yeah, exactly. I it, Yes, but you're right. So that might be like the one-month budget because it, it would take a month to build up to like figure out the budgeting. So this is like the one-month expenditure on clothes for those 12 children. Jesus Christ. And, and I mean, they infer they infer in their blackmail that like if they aren't taken care of in the style in which they are accustomed, um, they, they will. The orphanage will get involved and right. they will take the kids. But but no, no, the best part is the, the foster agency will get involved. They'll reclaim the kids and then they'll reclaim all of the assets of Starlight. The Starlight Industries. Foundation. Yeah. Of the Starlight I, Foundation. I told you. Because for some reason, they're tied directly to the children. I, I told you they're 80% of the income. <laughs> and they're just had they haven't been cashing the foster checks um okay uh let's see here uh, i lost my place sorry um well, well we, we we now go we cut back to jim and Wright and the jungle yeah. line well uh the misfits are devastated by this news that they're in debt and then we cut back to rio and minx finding the crashed boat and they rushed on the island to find Jem and Riot. Uh, and they find them lounging in hammocks. And, uh, and at this point in time, it has been three months, right? Right. And Rio sees this. And they, and they have been on the island for over two months now. Yes. Rio has got to smell like the worst fucking ball sack on you the mean, planet. I go, you like, mean Riot. I go like, I'm sorry, Riot, yeah. Riot has just got to like stink to high heaven. And I, I imagine gems know better because they're in like the jungle and the heat. They're going to be sweating their asses off in the dirt and the these grass huts. It's keep, keep in mind. I imagine they smelled them before they saw them. I keep in mind that gem is like gem is essentially a hard light hologram this whole time, right? <laughs> like underneath the gem uh, cover, Jerrica is in there just like filthy. She's just filthy as hell. Yeah. Just covered in like feces and like scratched all up. Yeah. Covered in bug bites. Yeah. Like her entire body's just like an open sore basically. She's like castaway level dehydrated and like uh, emaciated. Um, <laughs> so seeing them there Rio assume Jen wants to be there and just fucking walks away like a little purple cock <laughs> bitch. <laughs> Uh, but that leaves Minx, our uh, our final stinger, to confront the castaways. Uh, and then uh, Jem quickly runs after Rio, and they reunite. Jem reveals Riot's master plan, uh, which was to live like a filthy fucking guy, an animal on a tiny island. <laughs> uh, <coughs> and then they kiss. But no, first, first don't th- doesn't Rio and Riot fight? Yes, but they kiss and then Riot interrupts to challenge Rio to a fight. Yeah. No, no, R- Rio does get in a, a, a hit. He gets a mean right hook in. And yeah. Like they... you hear the pounding flesh of him hitting Riot in the face, <laughs> right. and then they're like, "No, no, no, break it up, break it up." Jem jumps in and she <laughs> says, uh, "She's not something to be fought over. She can do whatever she wants, and she wants to leave." 
Um, and, yeah. and that's pretty. I liked this <laughs> bit. This was pretty nice. No, I did too. I, I like that. It, too, it, yeah. It's a great sentiment. It's uh, mediocre execution, but it's a great sentiment. I'd say yeah. it's it's over signaled, <laughs> like it's over signaled to the point where it's like, hey, this is a problem, and we're not doing this right. Um, but it's it's nice to see that in a kid's cartoon. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. also good because Rio is batting his little bitch ass beat. <laughs> Um, to, to, to get his revenge, Rio steals the Stinger's uh, spark plug, which I did look up, and um, they do have spark plugs in those kinds of engines on uh, on uh, speedboats. Uh, so they have to they have to row back. Uh, but at this point, Riot essentially has his cult back, uh, consisting of two equally attractive women. Why the fuck did he ever leave this situation? They seem yeah. to be happy to like, do whatever he wants. Two equally attractive Eastern European women that uh, have a pretty good sense of style, great singers, yeah. earn a fair amount of money because they're actually in like an active band and they're, they're supposedly making money off of albums or cutting in and shows or performing. And they've both stated earlier in the episode that essentially their lives are meaningless without Riot. Yeah. And, and literally, like you see that, like you were saying, he, he pulls out two oars and tosses them to him and says, start rowing, and he just sits down and relaxes on the boat. Yeah, and, and they just, do it. They just do it, yeah. I, uh, yeah. So, anyway, you bring up a great. So why you've inadvertently brought up a great point? Who 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 owns the right to that uh, supergroup band song? Because Starlight Records Ooh. owns it. Mm-hmm. But they're about to be yeah. rid it back. But but all of the uh, but there's all these different uh, performers. Like the, like yeah, the misfits actually, are not going to let them continue to profit off of it. So that's essentially what what the misfits could do is they could take some of the assets that are within Starlight Industries, sell those to Eric, then sell Starlight Industries back to Gem uh, of the Holograms, and it would just be revealed the exact like listing of the assets that are associated with Starlight Industries. So she she very well could own like a fair amount of the IP from Starlight Industries with this uh, whole deal that she's pulled off. I, I don't I don't think they did anything that complicated. <laughs> no, I don't think they did it either, but still. I think they just screwed up the the rights in in the same way that a lot of 80s cartoons are, where they'll never be able to be released again. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> Jerrica and the gang uh, return to the mansion, uh, and they find the Starlight Girls having a crazy, risky business-esque party, uh, which is driving Pizzazz and Eric crazy. And... Uh, uh, Pizzazz and Eric are so deep in debt that Pizzazz surrenders the ho- all holdings in the company in a totally legally binding verbal agreement. <laughs> well, while Eric is saying, no, Pizzazz, sell Starlight Industries to me, I will pay you a fortune. Well, However, Eric, yeah, Eric says that later. However, he still, he seems to be like destitute as well. It seems like his, some of his finances got mixed up in this as well. It's not really this clear, thing, but, but this is where what? Well, yeah, this is where I was kind of confused about like who Mr. Gabor versus Eric was. I thought Eric was like Pizzazz's dad, and Mr. Gabor actually owned the music uh, company that the Misfits were a part of. It no. was just sort of like a silent partner, and he just let Pizzazz do whatever she wanted to. No, like er, Eric is actually like kind of the main villain, and Pizzazz and the Misfits are a little bit manipulated by him to try to get revenge on. Star, on Starlight Music and on Gem so the Holograms. They're more like his villains than anything else. Or his, uh, I'm sorry, his uh, uh, henchmen. Yeah, and, and 
uh, Pizzazz is certainly the most vocal and active of the henchmen, but um, uh, the other members of the of the misfits also do his bidding. Um, anyway, uh, Eric is dissuaded from uh, paying a fortune by the idea that he might become a father, because nothing is worse than becoming a father. Yeah, the <laughs> the, the orphans step in again to uh, dissuade. The right, they, they do Again, so. They do so uh, such a better job of running the company th- than Jem does. <laughs> I, I, I think it. I think it's like it's to your point, David. It's really ironic, right? We're saying that basically the most profitable part of this business is the orphans, yeah. and yet the orphans is the thing that turns everyone away from the business. It's a real <laughs> like you can't you can't look you know, at the, at the Medusa in the face kind of thing. Like that's where all the power lies. Um, anyway, everything becomes all right in the world as we're informed by music video. Number three, all's right in the world by the holograms. <laughs> all's right in the world. Yes. Everything's back to normal. I and, don't actually know the words. And we have a montage of everything being set back to the natural order with Jim on top, with the ability to crush and enslave all people around her. Uh, and this song's not too bad. Um, and, and you even see is, kids. Is this circling back to the whole, like, everything resets at the end of every episode back in the well, yeah. Yes, yep. absolutely. Of course, of and course. Everyone says, I'm as happy as I've ever been. Yep. <laughs> right. They, they actually literally do, yeah. And but then, the, um, you would think I, I do like the, the shot of like all the kids, like all the teenage mm-hmm. girls that are wearing misfit makeup mm-hmm. that then like get flashed gym tickets to go see Jim and the Holograms at concert and they immediately wipe off their their misfit makeup and they like put on their, their hologram earrings to go out and see the show. It it really tells you just how much how much kids are just sheeple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh like w- yeah, within the space kind of, of three months. Did they they're... have back then? Because this is like 30 okay. years later, 40 years later, and we don't have those kind of drugs. Literally all those children are on Kit Kat. <laughs> it's the 80s. Um, anyway, over the end credits, you can hear the original song, Jim, Truly Outrageous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or rather, Truly, Truly Outrageous. Truly, Truly, Truly Outrageous. So, Whoa, Jim. Okay, final thoughts on Jim and the Holograms. So, I did watch Jim and the Holograms when I was a kid um, as well. Me too. Uh, typically, it, it wasn't like a regular thing, but I would watch it um, when it would come on after other cartoons. Um, but, um, like, this time as an adult, the first time I watched this particular episode, it was mind-numbing. I don't know. It was just... It, w- it was very difficult for me to, to get through it, but when I went back and watched it the second time, I actually really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly really liked it too. Once you knew who all the characters were, yeah, like once I knew who all the characters were, once I knew essentially once I knew what the plot was, I was able to to enjoy the music a little bit more. I was able to enjoy the styles a little bit more. I was able to enjoy the relationships between the characters a little bit more. Uh, it was just like initially when I was like, "What is with all this fucking exposition?" Yeah. So um, so I I kind of had like a weird a weird reaction to it. I feel like. Um, I think that I think the main thing that I got from this entire episode, though, is that the real bad guy is the overarching sense of capitalism 
mm-hmm. and, the, and the constant necessity for accruing money and possessions and wealth. If nobody cared about that, and they just focused on the music, well, Ryan didn't a care. Much better show. Well, that's true. He he was looking to get his dick wet. So yeah, R- R- Ryan is really like he's an anti-capitalist. You know, like um, he wants well, to drop out and live on an island. That's why he's a villain. <laughs> so so Ryan. Okay, that's our next T-shirt. It is the Che Chevera T-shirt, but it's yeah. Riot with a beret, <laughs> and the beret's like setting on top, on, of, on top of his hair. His hair. <laughs> che Guevara. Yeah, my thoughts on this is I, I started off thinking that this is the "It's a Wonderful Life" of tween girl cartoons, um, but it's it's not. It's actually the Citizen Kane of tween girl cartoons. And I have three uh, backup reasons for that. Real. Okay. Nice. Nice. So three reasons why it's uh, this is the Citizen Kane of tween girl cartoons. Uh, first of all, it's an overall it's a descent into madness uh, of a world without its overlord and capitalist master, Jim. Uh, and Jim, just like the main character in Citizen Kane, uh, wields soft power and contract law uh, to enslave her friends and family. And then torment them with her piss poor mental health, shitty time management, and predatory business arrangements. Finally, in the final song, there is repeatedly the lyric that we're all in the pink. And this is a direct tie in to the Rosebud illusion in Citizen Kane, which we all know Rosebud was the nickname that Hearst gave to his uh, mistress's vagina. I think we might have seen two different movies. <laughs> I, I, so, I think uh, we saw two different movies there. Why Why do you think Hearst hated Citizen Kane? One reason was that Rosebud was literally the nickname he had for his second wife's private area. Oh, her, okay. I did not know that. Yeah. So he, na- he named the sled in his movie after his ex-wife's vagina. Orson Welles na- named the sled in his movie uh, Rosebud. That was a pe- Rosebud as a mockery of Hearst. <laughs> oh, all right. Uh, anyway, crazy. Nice, nice. Little bit, little bit of uh, movie trivia, and uh, wait, what was it? What was the name of the, the newspaper that Hearst was running? It was like the uh, Inquirer. New York World, was it? Or New York World. I forget. Yeah. He had multiple newspapers. Oh, boy. All right, so Matt, actually yeah. you bring up some really, really excellent points about this episode. Um, I watched it twice. I hated it twice. I thought it was <laughs> trash fucking TV. Um, but I think you bring up some very, very, very ex- explicit points about, like, kind of consumerism and capitalism and, like, kind of the 80s mentality of how this episode kind of goes. Um, we have we have certain factions, we have certain kind of looks, we have certain whatever you want to do. One of my biggest problems with the episode, though, is there's a line from Jim herself at the very end, and she goes, I do what I choose other than the whole, like other than what choose for me. And I'm like, we just spent three quarters of the episode where Riot chose for you, and you never did what you chose. You were like, oh, I need to get back to my friends. He's like, 
come on, baby, let's go gamble. And she's like, okay, and let's go water skiing. And she was like, okay. And I'm like, really? Like, your convictions are, are that easily swayed, you know? Um, but things I did enjoy about it, I enjoyed... I actually really enjoyed the music portions of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't realize that was that was a thing in the 80s. Um, and of the three songs that they played, I really liked the Riot song. Um, the Misfit song was a, a fucking train wreck. And then the final song was, was a pretty good one. But uh, if that's how they did it back in the day when we were kids, like, it, it, it was entertaining, you know? Um, but at the end of the day, that that was a terrible, terrible cartoon. Like, it was awful. Like, the whole thing was awful. <laughs> I feel like the amount of plot in this episode could have been a full season arc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It could have. And I, I, I do think that had I... Like, what, the majority, again, I told you guys, I have 13 bullet points from when I watched this episode, and six of the 13 were questions. Like, who is the yellow-haired lady? <laughs> you know, is she the recurring villain? You know, the, the girl from the Misfits. Um, you know, uh, holy shit, that opening, were they all like that? Like, I don't remember the, you know, Gem and the Holograms. Like, all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, Gem and the Holograms, and then, boom, like cue the record stop and then all of a sudden there is what's her face they're being like this is the worst day of my life and i'm like is this the standard 80s opening (laughs) (laughs) with the musical montage every show opened like that it actually was very tiring in the 80s no song was ever finished but some some of the things to like kind of put it into to modern perspective is you had riot dude that whole thing was a date rape vibe Oh yeah. Oh, no, like yeah. that was yeah. that was beyond I mean that was beyond some of the things that that we kind of like took for granted in the 80s and 90s. Adam, why am I seeing your junk? He was serious. He was seriously <laughs> like I just reached I had to reach behind my computer so I moved it down. I and the things he was saying too were like super duper like predatory. Yeah, he was, he was like, like grooming her. Yeah, yeah, like Jim is with me and she's part of my plan. And that went back to what I was saying earlier with Rio being like, I have no idea who this amazingly attractive, like super great hair mechanic is that looks exactly like Riot. <laughs> wait, wait, what? I, I, it's hard to understand if this is the first introduction of the Stingers or not. But yeah. I think that this is not the first introduction. I would, I would imagine that, like the way that they presented a couple of these, you know, kind of outside characters, like you would know that hey, this person is, I don't want to say a villain, but they're they're an opponent yeah. to Jim and the holograms. <clears throat> antagonist. You know? um, yeah, thank you, David. An antagonist. You know, it was just, it was interesting. Uh, David, any uh, any final thoughts on Jim and the holograms? I would have to say that the uh, exposition style of it would really have turned me off as a kid. I probably mm-hmm. wouldn't have watched the show. Really? I just I kind of just just just, just the way that this particular episode was presented. Yeah. Was yeah. it was just yeah, it really turned you off a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Like just just the style. They took a complicated see, uh, story and tried to make it more complicated. Yeah, yeah. But I felt that they tried to simplify it. 
Like I, I felt like they tried to oversimplify very, very complicated themes. Well, they they tried to rush the themes, and that's the reason why you have like that's the reason why everything's just a giant exposition dump. It's because you you have mm-hmm. to basically be told what's happening because they don't have the time to show it to you. Yeah. So it's all it's all telling and no showing. Like e- even when it comes right down to finding out Riot's master plan, he. <laughs> just outright tells you what it is <laughs> and she he tells jim what it is because jim has to find out but he doesn't have time for her to find out naturally so he just has to tell her right so. and like you could see like a, a three season arc where one of the subplots like uh in the in the in the first season was just riot undermining rio every chance he got to, until rio yeah. had no credibility with jim left etc yeah. meanwhile yeah. you know fueling the fire of jim's mental health problems to to get her to run off with him yeah it was i mean it was interesting like i would like to contrasting it to which we're going to get to uh star blazers which was very very easy to follow and like there was a lot of kind of very upfront story development like i hated this one (laughs) (laughs) all right Let's, let's go ahead and get into Star Blazers then. Uh, let's just All try right. to move this along as quick as we can. Alright, okay. so uh, next we're going into Star Blazers Season 1, Episode 24, The Battle of Gamillion. Um, the opening credits and music pretty much give us everything we need to know about the show, so it's okay for us to be jumping in uh, pretty much at the end of Season 1. Uh, it turns out that it is... Uh, the year 2199, the Earth was under serious attack from Gamelian, and they, Gamelian had sent planet bombs to Earth that began to slowly cover the planet in deadly radiation. There is another friendly planet called Iskadar that has a machine called the Cosmic DNA that will clean the radiation. Mm. I'm sorry, Cosmo DNA, not Cosmic DNA. Cosmo DNA is um, a singer from the mm-hmm. 70s. I thought it was a magazine for scientists. Ooh. Like a fashion fashion magazine for scientists. Mm. Sexy lady scientists. Mm, uh, Yeah, shed that unwanted DNA. Oof. Yeah. Uh, Break up those ribosomes. Have the best DNA organisms ever. Organisms? (laughs) Organisms. 12 sexy DNA secrets. All right, Just so, drag your teeth down that DNA so the supplier. Queen, queen Starsha is the queen of the planet Iskadar, and she sent out a message to Earth to uh, basically say, hey, I got this device to help you out. Come and get it. And in the intro, it says that a small, a small team of Star Blazers that call themselves the Star Force have undergone the journey to retrieve this machine and they have to travel 134 light years in just one Earth year. And I think That's this was a, a bit of a... This is actually a bit of a translation issue, because when I went and looked at the wiki, it says it was actually 134,000 light years in just one Earth year. So, oh, really? So that's even worse. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's too many light years. That's so like we come, 15 more than you can do, really. Well, that's right? that's the main tension of the entire series is they got one year, and they need the extra fifteen days. So how are they yeah. going to cut it's, their travel time to get that extra fifteen days? It, it, it's like the uh, Battlestar Galactica opening where they show you like how many people are left. 
Right. Because oh, they yeah. do a countdown. It's like a countdown. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I liked that where they were like uh, they were like okay they're 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 about here and they have this many days left so yeah. they r- ratchet up the tension that way by you know making us do math. <laughs> well, we come in right away, media res. Uh, we find out that uh, in order to reach Iskadar, they have to pass relatively close by Gamillion, and apparently Gamillion used a magna ray to force Arg- the Argo, which is the name of the ship that the Star Force is using down into a sulfuric acid sea that's beneath the crust of Gamillion, I think. That's what it looked like in the cartoon. Yes. yes. So the Gamillion civilization is beneath the crust. Like, they have buildings hanging down from underneath the crust and buildings coming up from the mantle. And there's also a sulfuric acid sea that's there as well, that's over top of the mantle that they're always dealing with. Yeah, they really live in, like, a shit sandwich. Like, they have a perfectly yeah. nice planet <laughs> surface, and they've decided to live in, like, the crappiest under-the-crust layer of their planet. Yep. And the, the narrator has already told us that they're dealing with the Sephiric Acid Sea, but then we come into the main character, whose name is Derek Wildstar, named after our friend Derek here, um, who himself used to be a pilot. You're still a pilot. You're never not a pilot, right? I'm always a pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually the pilot of the future battleship Yamato. But but no no. Argo. This is the Argo specifically. We'll get into the, the weird differences in the naming convention that we have here. But we, we come in here and Derek is talking to the robot IQ nine, which I, IQ I guess nine. is his IQ. That's the that's the number of his IQ. <laughs> yeah, I, I could see that. All I got. But IQ nine is also kind of like. It's kind of funny because he's a bit dismissive of all the human, it, it, the humans that are trying to interact with him. They're like, IQ-9, are you sure that it's sulfuric acid? And he's like, indeed, it is sulfuric acid. We will be destroyed if we go into it. Will you listen to me? I yeah. am the robot. I, Nobody listens only, to the robot. They only ask rhetorical questions of IQ-9. Yeah. <laughs> so... It's also stated that at this point in time, the rain that's coming down and the storm that they're flying through is also acidic because it has melted the third gun deck. And yes. at this point in time, you actually see the ship kind of rising up out of the sea a little bit, so they, they got a little bit of sulfuric acid on the bottom of the ship. And this is when they get targeted by missiles. And acting captain uh, Derek Wildstar uh, has to have them dive. He yells out, Dive! But really, it's just saying, he basically just says evasive maneuvers, and they just sort of, like, fly around instead of flying down into the sulfuric sea. And I Uh, would say that, like, we now have the the essential crux of the episode, is that they're trapped between the surface of the sea and the missiles that are being fired up. That's, like, the central tension of the whole episode. Yeah. And there's, like, a little bit of the run silent, run deep aspect here, because they do have a little bit of a submersible moment. Yeah. Uh, even when they're flying through the air, a few times you see ships fly over them and like drop what looks like death char- depth charges to hit them and rock them. So it's really, it really kind of has that like s- classic submarine movie tension to it as well. So yeah, this is the DOS boot of um, yeah. poorly converted Japanese cartoons to American. <laughs> so at, at this point in time, we get a pretty good glimpse of the voice acting here. In it's pretty bonkers. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't think bonkers begins to eclipse it's, what this is. It's, it's just crazy because you never hear 
you never hear them put like a bunch of southern accents into I, I guess what they were trying to do is they were trying to make sure that this was like an American show so they picked like an iconic American style of accent and just jammed it in there and it was southern <laughs> so, so you have like a couple of guys in the Argo ship uh, that are southern that have kind of like this like slightly off affectation that's with a southern voice but then we we cut to the Gamillion command post which is almost like a missile oh, command God. where they do all these things and you hear the main bad guy talk and he sounds like a fucking southern dandy yeah and and so he is completely blue with blonde hair with like a like a like almost like a higher i don't know what you would call it like a higher um class southern accent so like he really does sound like a southern dandy like he went to a cotillion and he was trying to talk to the the young ladies in their bustle dresses yeah i mean i think we're supposed to get an understanding of like uh the the po- the culture of this planet where they they have this like aristocracy ruling class that may not be very competent because he also has this like more seasoned assistant who seems to handle like the real execution of things yeah crypt yeah and um but he's kind of like um you know he he's like the uh the veneer the like civilizing veneer on this like working class um uh team that actually executes all and does all the work and he just kind of like uh spearheads the endeavor and then later in the episode when he you know takes over control personally that's when things really go to shit that's what things fall apart yeah yeah so the uh the blue man dandy basically says um if the argo is not going to go into the sulfuric sea themselves and they're avoiding our attacks then you need to turn on he yells to his man turn on the sulfuric acid storm machine and we'll make a sulfuric acid storm that will destroy the Argo. And yeah. then everybody's like applauding him. It's like, oh, good job. And that's when Crypt, his, um, the guy that seems to be like the relative voice of reason, who isn't in this moment, he comes up with a glass of um, uh, purple liquid, just like from Jim, and uh, offers it to the uh, blue man dandy. And basically said, hey, let's toast to your success. Mm-hmm. And the blue man dandy was like, none of that. We haven't beaten them yet. So. Yeah, he he has a real like uh, grudging sardonic respect for the uh, the Star Force slash Star Blazers slash Japanese people. Yep. And at this point in time, we cut back to the Argo, and at, inside the Argo, uh, Derek Wildstar has being is talking to the token woman that's on the ship, and she says, "You should go talk to the captain." to find out what to do so at this point in time we're, we're essentially told that that wildstar is not the actual captain he's just the acting captain and this is the middle of a battle and this is in the middle of a battle yeah this is when they're they're evading all of the uh missiles that are flying at them so he runs upstairs goes to the captain's quarters the captain is laying in bed with his captain uniform like laying over top of the bed while he's laying there and um I got the feeling so, he was, like, essentially waiting for death. Yeah, I, I kind of... Well, I didn't know if he was waiting for death, but I got that he was, like, injured in some fashion. Like yeah, he, yeah. He's obviously, he's obviously infirm in some way, so he's he's essentially resting. But when, when Wildstar gets in, the captain knows everything about everything, and he knows exactly what to do on the planet. He has an entire plan worked out. 
and it's like he, he has this omniscient understanding of exactly what's happening in battle. Mm-hmm. He has he has the opposite of the fog of war. I don't know what that would be, but right, the clarity oh. of combat. I don't know. Oh, I like that. <laughs> so, this is when he comes up with the plan. Okay, dive into the sulfuric sea. I know I know this ship well enough that I know it will last at least ten minutes mm-hmm. in in sulfuric acid. Once you get under the sulfuric sea, find the biggest volcano you can. And shoot it, and it'll release an immense power that will destroy Gamillion. It will and actually it, destroy the, the the civilization on this planet because the the volcanoes here are so much more powerful than the volcanoes back on Earth. Yes, and it'll release like uh, it seems to infer that there's some sort of like secret energy that it will release, like uh, an unknown power. Although it's just really just volcanoes. Um, yeah, it's just lava. Orgasms. Yeah. Yeah. It releases now we're back orgasms. to Cosmo DNA. That's part um, and, of Cosmo DNA. And he's supposed to use uh, the special gun that uh, the, the, the Argo has. The wave yeah. gun. Yeah. yeah. A penis. One big blast from their wave motion gun. Wave motion gun, yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, so then we, we cut back to the bad guys, and they're all like, hey, the Argo's gone, un- gone underwater. It's, it's gone under the Sephiric Sea. It's done. We won. They're dead. Woo-hoo. And there's well, like we, a little bit. Yeah, Adam, I'm watching this at the same time as you're talking, and you're a way better of a voice actor than they are. <laughs> like, it was literally singing up as you were talking, and I'm like, oh my god, this is the coolest show ever. It's like, and then I turned on the voice, like, and I'm like, oh shit, this is. It's dumb. like the dark side of the moon, and whatever it was. What is it? The fish. Is it fish? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, Dark Side of the Moon and um, uh, Oh, Alice of Oz. No, Wizard of Oz, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Dark Side of the Moon and Wizard of Oz. Yeah, you were, you were talking and it was syncing up perfectly with their lips. And I'm like, oh my god, this is, a, this is the most awesome show ever. I'm like, oh wait. So I could I, be our next this... podcast. <laughs> just syncing yeah. me up with ex- yeah, explaining just things. Up. In the, in the... <laughs> I'm just watching you explaining have to be, like, Yeah talking about the episode or saying anything relevant you could just be talking about like today the weather is 74 degrees i think what we're hearing from, <laughs> from mike is that he gets off on your voice fair enough it happens uh, uh i still didn't mention how uh gem was so hot <laughs> in the last episode so. <laughs> you're too late mike <laughs> I know it's too late. I I missed out on that. But, is there is hey. there any type of classic uh, submarine music that we could play here? I was uh, Hunt for October. Yeah, we gotta go, we gotta do the uh, sonar sound. Yeah. Oh, there we go. That's it. The sonar bing, sound right here. Bing, bing. So at this point in time, we re- we get into like a tense submarine drama, and it, it runs for about a minute, which feels like a lifetime in these cartoon terms. Bing. Yes. So, so we really are like right now. We are in the run silent run deep because like people are like clinching their control panels. They're like looking at gauges. You can see clenching you see the outside of the ships like slowly melting away a little bit. Yeah. And, it, and like everybody and you like you hear the creaking of the ship. So, Bing. but in in no time, really in no time, they managed to find the the right volcano with uh, IQ9's help because apparently IQ9 has some sort of sensory system that allows them to actually find the most powerful volcano. Uh, and then they go through this uh, relatively long um, 
it wasn't really that long, but it was an intricate uh, sequence of showing how they fired the wave motion gun. So I have to assume this is something that they do regularly in the show. Yeah, like they, it's a pre-built animated sequence. Yeah, yeah. Like because you see like okay. like something locked down, and you see like yeah, they a, like they a system move into another system. You see him like pull up the handle. You see him like pull the handle and yeah, fire they the. They've got a whole so. raft of little buttons I have to push. Yeah. Right. Like uh, they're like, hey, uh, we have a sequence here that will waste. 48 seconds of animation time. Uh, slot yeah. that in here so that we have to do less overall in the episode. Exactly. Exactly. So, they, they hit the volcano. It blows up. You start to see uh, lava flowing out everywhere. It's destroying all of these, like, mushroom-looking structures that are on, like, the mantle side of the, uh, the, the whole setup for the civilization. And yeah, they're essentially, like, destroying civilians. Yeah, it, it looks like that's what it is. It's like houses. It's like apartment complexes or something like that. They're they're destroying the city, and because the the main um, military forces are actually hanging from the crust, right? And um, they do wind up destroying some of them as well. Because after after the sequence, it cuts back to the bad guys. They're freaking out because the um, there's like lava coming everywhere. Everything's like blowing up all around them. And then you see the Argo rise up slowly. It's like the money shot for spaceships that you see in like every fucking movie. Slowly rising up out of the sulfuric acid, you get like the the shot of like the hull moving across the screen, so you actually get like a good view of like what the entire ship looks like. There's a few holes here and there that they animated in to basically show that it had been melting a little bit from the sulfuric acid. This whole but, sequence um, I thought was really beautifully animated. There's like beautifully like abstract uh, uh, images of the lava like exploding out of the volcano. It's all beautifully hand rendered and like uh, everything is in motion on the screen. It just it this feels like they took a lot of care in uh, creating this whole sequence. I I think so too, and, and I thought that it was actually really well designed. It, it, from this point from this point forward in the the show, it's pretty much just sort of a running gun chase at this. Yeah, point. yeah. And, and it, it's relatively simple. Like we we could go through and explain a lot of it. It's just sort of like shots and reverse shots cutting back and forth between the folks on the Argo and the folks on the missile command post, and like the sheer destruction that's happening. Uh, quick, like blow by blow, is yeah. that yeah, they launch everything at the Argo. Yeah, the chameleon, the chameleons, the chameleons, the chameleons, chameleons, the chameleons. Uh, inside their missile command, the, the the blue dandy yells out, Oh, that's just a ghost ship. We saw them destroy. That has to be a ghost ship. In order to destroy the ghost ship, we just have to hit it with everything we got, so fire everything. Yeah, he has some sort of like weird psychological break here. Yeah, this oh. is when he kind of loses his shit. Every mistake he's made comes back to haunt him. Is yes. that like one of the lines that they use? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think he refuses to admit that his plan didn't work. Well, it was a ghost ship. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because yeah, because he, he does say it's a ghost ship, but anyway, they start firing every everything they have at them. This massive amounts of missiles. The guys in the Argo freak out, and and yeah. Wildstar basically just says, "Start shooting! Just shoot the missiles." Yeah, I mean, they they have some amenities to fend off their enemies, but there's just too many missiles coming in. They, yeah. yeah, and they're yeah. shooting. They're like sh trying to shoot down the missiles as they're coming in with deck guns. Yeah, yeah with they're, deck they're guns. basically firing deck guns off to get rid of them, but they. 
Wildstorm very... comes up with the, the great idea to basically go combat close, to basically just like move in as close as he possibly can with the Chameleon um, Command uh, Center. Command Center, and because they'll they take they'll take damage as well if that happens. We don't really see that in animation. I, we really just see them like shooting at the command center and then a bunch of shit blowing yeah. up everywhere. Yeah, so. it, it seems like the support pillars holding up the ceiling are being taken out by the lava, which would have happened yeah. anyway. Well, by the lava and like accidentally by some of the, the chameleon. Because this is the weird part, too. The chameleon um, uh, military structures, they, they started firing off like it would look like escape pods. Like parts no, of the building were be- yeah. were becoming detached and just falling to the yeah, ground, but but some were falling. just falling to the ground, and it, it was it, and it seemed like they were intentionally detaching, not that they were like falling. I felt so like it, this it, whole scene was very was, much like the horror, the horror as their whole civilization collapses. Yeah, well, well, that's essentially what it winds up leading to, because this is essentially their home planet and their civilization. So, um, but yeah, so the crust starts to collapse. Uh, we see, see, yeah, so the entire civilization destroys, uh, civilization becomes destroys. Give me a moment. Ha. <clears throat> Lots of eyebrows. <laughs> Big eyebrows. Um, yeah, so, so at some point in time, uh, crypt, uh, the, uh, the Black assistant, the assistant yeah. to the to the blue uh, blue man dandy, uh, Crypt comes up and says, trying to be the voice of reason, is like, how could one old Earth ship beat the whole of Gamadon? He said Gamadon. I think that the voice actor misread uh, a line because he did say Gamadon instead of Gamelion. So maybe we're pronouncing mispronouncing it. Maybe I wouldn't be surprised. It's late. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, you white, you white men. And he continues on and says, "We're fighting a force we don't understand. Why don't we just stop fighting for a minute before they destroy the entire civilization?" Mm-hmm. But but then the blue dandy is like, "It's people like you that have destroyed our civilization and caused us to lose this war. You damn hippie, go back to Berkeley," and then kicks him out of the room. Uh, we we switch back to the Argo and we see it getting rocked by missiles again. It's basically just like a lot of back and forth of just tons of destruction. Uh, eventually, the, the the missile command post that the uh, Blue Man Dandy was in, uh, the ceiling collapses and yep. he gets crushed by rocks. He's clearly dead. He's clearly, He's clearly dead. Killed. He's clearly yes. squished. Clearly crushed by rocks. And then we switch to a cutscene of him crawling into an escape hatch and crawling away. So, I, yes, I I wasn't too sure. I, I thought that, that maybe this was like American censors trying yes. to change some That's, graphic violence. That is absolutely what it was. But that character actually comes back. He's a recurring character in season two and, and then in season three. He goes through mm. like this whole redemption arc. Unless unless that's just like a different character from the Japanese version. It's like, oh, I am a chameleon. I'm a different guy, though, and they just named him by the same name for Star Blazers. Hmm. But from what I understand, they they were pretty close to the same as the the Japanese version of this. So, because I was going to say, the very next scene is them doing the same thing with audio, 
and explaining yes. that the giant yeah. room full of dead bodies <laughs> they were all fine that that, that was clearly yes. that was clearly the case so, so soon but. there'll be no pain and again and they'll well, feel like themselves again we we do want up seeing the Argo basically pull out. Uh, they they're no longer getting shot at. They they leave that area between the crust and the mantle. They fly away, and and yes, we we pull into the Argo and we see several obviously dead bodies, like dozens of dead bodies crushed beneath equipment, uh, laying there, and all we hear are like a bunch of American voice actors that are saying, "That sure was a heck of a fight." <laughs> oh wow! I'm I'm so tired. I can't get up right now. Oh, right. the doctor's gonna the doctor's gonna run out of bandages, and, <laughs> and it's like all upbeat like that too. So, yeah. but it's they're clearly all dead because you see Wildstar like stand up and he looks around at like the horrors like of his actions. He caused all these deaths by the orders that he gave. War is hell. Yeah, he's he's learned the dark side of command, and he then leaves the interior of the ship climbs out onto the deck of the ship the exterior deck of the ship while they're still i think at this point in time they're actually still in that mantle section between the crust of the mantle where there was like sulfuric acid everywhere and acid rain and for, <laughs> and for whatever reason the 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 main female character the only female character nova is sitting out on the deck in like the damsel in distress kind of pose with like her like pseudo fetal position but like sitting up and crying and he comes out and comforts her and they have a whole conversation about the horrors of war and Wildstar's like well uh, I think the Chameleons have stopped fighting um, which is kind of an understatement since they just pretty much fucked up their entire world basically destroyed their entire civilization I get the feeling that there's infinite numbers of little blue men though yeah well I'm assuming as much because I think that there are actually like multiple planets that they have inhabited, and from yeah. what I understand, they actually sent the radiation bombs to Earth in an attempt to essentially terraform Earth for themselves. So, um, but at any rate, Nova and Wildstar climb back inside, um, and that's when the captain jumps onto the intercom and says, "Hey, crew, you did a great job." Look there, there's uh, Iskenbar. We're almost there. Everybody's going to remember your name when we get back to Earth with uh, with the device that's going to save everybody. Right. Essentially saying all those people who didn't die, they didn't die in vain. Yeah. And so <laughs> that's pretty much the end of the episode. We cut it, boop, and it says, all right, 161 days left before all life on Earth becomes extinct. <laughs> <laughs> I will say that, one thing that the captain's fucking apartment is sweet. They only show yeah. a little bit of it, but he essentially he has a full skylight that covers it's like a dome that covers the entire roof and uh, front of his cabin <clears throat> that looks out over the top of the ship. Uh, that's oh that's, god yeah. That's a pretty yeah. money uh, 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 apartment to have on the ship. Yeah, it, he basically has like 10 forward from Enterprise from the Enterprise, but it is, like, his quarters. It, it looked like it was, like, up in the... Derek, you got to correct all of our misuse of naval terms for describing a ship. Uh, I believe that, that he was... It looked like he was up in the tower, basically, because it's, like, they had to take an elevator to get up to him. Mm -hmm. And I was actually wondering, yeah. how the hell did that survive 
first off, all the combat. Secondly, all the sulfuric acid. Yeah. And, like all the falling debris from from the crust. Well, Seemed like that that should have gotten like all jacked up, but he was perfectly fine and still in bed the entire time. So. Well, wouldn't the, because uh, Hollywood. <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't, um, the, wouldn't the glass actually be more resistant than the metal? It's true. The metal would get eaten away, and the glass would just float. Gotcha. I, I wasn't sure what the uh, chemical compounds of uh, sulfuric, sulfuric acid. Uh, well, it's it's the future. It's probably is. some sort the of transparent eat it too, metal. So. Yeah. Well, I think they do refer to the ship being steel, which is kind of was kind of strange to me. Well, yeah, because yeah, it's it's a re- it's like a rebuilt World War Two ship. Yeah. Well, that gets to the history of. Star Blazers. Right. So, if you guys yeah. are ready for that bit, Star Blazers was released in the U.S. in 1979, and it was the very first popular English translated anime with an overarching plot. Oh shit! Yeah, so this is like this is like the precursor. This is the first one that that really got people's attention, and one of the reasons why is because it dealt in much more mature themes than a lot of the other cartoons and anime that have come out uh, before it. Uh, oh. it, it was released it had a three season arc essentially um, the first two seasons were released in 1979 the third season did not get released until much later because it took a little while for the Japanese animators to make it however there are actually two canonical movies between the second and third season and those movies did not make it to the US so Kids watching the second season and waiting to watch the third season were probably confused as fuck because <laughs> there was a lot of shit that happened in those in those movies. Um, the Argo, which is actually still named the Argo in the Japanese original, which I thought was very strange, is the retrofitting of the World War the World War Two battleship Yamato, which was sunk during World War Two, off of the or south of Kyushu. Apparently, in 2199, they decided to raise the ship from the sea and then retrofit it to turn it into a spaceship. And then they renamed it the Argo to take off into space. Yeah, I did notice... Did they one, re- that's in, weird, right? In one point, they, they make reference to having watertight doors. Yes. No, they which, do, yeah. When they go under the sulfuric sea. Which was yeah. very... Yeah. Which I thought was very odd for a spaceship. You'd want yeah. watertight doors on your spaceship, yes. It's, 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 ex- well, you want it to be acid tight. Oh God, acid tight. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the way they wore their jeans in the eighties. That's right. <laughs> they do really make it clear that um, the ship operates exactly like a World War Two ship. Like they're constantly going yeah. out in inside, in and out of the hull. It seems like it's very permeable. Um, yeah. they, like they're wearing space suits, but the, but um, uh, they clear like to, it's clear that like to normally normally operate the ship, they have to go outside onto the yeah. deck. Well, it, and all the gun decks are outside. Yeah, and they 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 reference like different parts of the ship as with the same type of nomenclature that you would for, like a World War II vessel or a, a modern day battleship. Right. So, um, and, and talking about their spacesuits, it's actually a really good point. I failed to bring it up when we first popped up, but their uniforms, I don't know if I said this earlier. Did you think the jumpsuits, jumpsuits that they had in Star Blazers, like, were very, um, uh... What are you doing? 
Sorry. Uncomfortable? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. I was thinking um, like they were Kill Bill-esque. What I really liked was the fact that they had the um, the arrow pointing, so there was like the man, the legend jumpsuits. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right. You think that was that was a big I'm with stupid arrow just pointing at their dick? <laughs> Very clearly. <laughs> Lovely. It was Well the, oh, the best yeah. part was is the uh the uh, uh the only woman in the entire show did not have the same uniform. Hers was just like a straight stripe. So, right. right. She was also a completely different color. Well, yeah. So I, yeah. I feel like we should get into the the summaries so we can just launch Right into this. Right, well, well, first, we well first, first, we have to do like a Marin Open, right? We got to like talk about something that's not the show in order to make people feel like they're easing into the show. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, so let's talk about. Th- this how is totally asynchronous because we could all, you know, th- none of this matters because we can mix it to whenever we want. Yeah, we can. Okay, so, so we can this, could, this could be like at the dog. end of the show for all we know. Jesus Christ! Yeah, <laughs> Fucking Doctor Dre over there. Uh, the uniforms have the. The arrow that points down to the crotch. Yes. So it, it really is the man, the legend type t-shirt mm-hmm. just in the uniform form. And um, I don't know if we were recording when I said that before. If we were, we could just erase this bit. When well, they're all color coordinated, they're, they look very precursors to Power Ranger. Yeah. Or precursors yeah. to... Um, they do. Uh, or, I should say precursors, but similar to uh, Star Trek. Because I'm sure Star Trek at that point in time was was consumed a great deal by uh, Japanese audiences as well. That's true. I don't know. I don't know how popular Star Trek was in Japan. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's a very also interesting point that I uh, I kind of observed or whatever. Um, they in some scenes have pistols on their belts, and in other scenes they don't. I th- like, I think that probably they. They probably tried to erase as much as that as they could when it came okay. when it came to the U.S. But there might have been some t- places where they couldn't because they they did do a little bit of Americanization of the film itself. Um, okay. So, like in, in 1977, so the the first taste that we had of this in the U.S. was actually 1977 when the the movie Space Battleship Yamato was dubbed in uh, retitled Space Cruiser. Uh, and was shown in LA in 1978. So essentially, oh, really? essentially, the first Spaceship Yamato movie, which would have been after the second season, was released to like a very limited market in LA. Uh, and I think that eventually it only it was only released on television by the time they worked out all the rights for it. But by, okay. the, by the time that happened, the uh, some of the uh, television companies, television companies, some of the production companies. Uh, purchased it as a kids' property, and they made the first two seasons a uh, kids' show. And basically, they they dubbed everything over. They created new credits, new opening credits, and like a new explanation and everything. And they released it in the San Francisco Bay Area in 1979. But this was a 1974 Japanese anime originally. And for for that release, they toned down. Uh, very little, actually. Apparently, they, they kept the plot almost exactly the same. They kept the character development, the philosophy, the content pretty much exactly the same. Uh, the only stuff they really took out of it was personal violence, any references to alcohol. Apparently, whenever anybody was drinking, they were drinking spring water instead of alcohol. Okay. Uh, we didn't see... That's what I, that's what I drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
We, Jesus. we didn't see him, but apparently in the original, the doctor is perpetually drunk. And they explain it away in the American, for the American audience by just saying, oh, he's happy. Mm-hmm. He's just he's jolly. Overly happy all the time, yeah. And then, of course, there was a sexual fan service that they took out as well. So, excuse me, I'm sure there was a bunch of uh, scenes between Wildstar and Nova that were Wildstar. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, how long were you waiting for that one? I actually wasn't. Um, Do you think that and, he saw her wild star? Ooh, that's that's better. Ooh. We should use that one instead. <laughs> um, oh, and they also cut out pretty much all the World War II references. Because apparently oh, yeah. there was qu- quite a few World War II references in the Japanese version. <laughs> oh, I would imagine. I mean, there's I, a I ton think... of... There's a ton of kind of... I wouldn't say revisionist history, but like... Um, maybe like feel goodism nationalism yeah, on the part of the yeah. Japanese, even in the stuff we saw. Well, and I think that that part of it comes to like some of the aspects of Japanese culture in general. Uh, like apparently, with all of the narration and anything that was, whenever they were talking about the crew in the original version, they called everybody Yamato, even mm-hmm. though, from what I understand, the ship was still called the Argo. The retrofitted ship was called the Argo, but they referred to everybody as Yamato. And it was supposed to be, like, a sense of, like, national identity that was wrapped up with this romanticism related to the loss of this super weapon, but also, like, the fatalistic ideas and identity that come with the Japanese military in general, which, yeah. which is a thing even today. So... It's a real lost cause. Like, that that might be what we, can, what we would relate it to in um american culture it's a real like lost cause romanticism a little bit nostalgia um i also read a little bit about the yamata term and i i I heard i heard a couple different things but one thing is that the the yamata term refers to like uh, the spirit and harmony of the the land people and culture of the japanese um yeah and that's kind of what the Yamata meaning meaning is, but there's a lot of layers of nuance there that I, I couldn't really begin to um, to understand without a lot more reading. Yeah, uh, well, it, it takes a little bit more of a deep dive into some of the Japanese culture, like the uh, and, and Derek, I'm sure you experienced this the with the Japanese Maritime Self Defense Force, their um, their iconography, like their emblem. That they wear on the uniforms is the uh, cherry blossom. Mm-hmm. And when I talked to my students about that, when they they had said that it is essentially supposed to symbolize something of great beauty that lasts a very short time and then dies and disappears. Mm-hmm. And, and like and like that that sense of like there is like a perfect moment associated with that beauty. And that's what they use as representation of their military force, essentially. Like it's a it's a real romanticism. It's ro- a romanticism, but it, there's also still like that fatalistic aspect to it too. Like well, that's, uh, that's it, it, everything romantic. everything fades, everything goes away in some fashion. So yeah, it's a very it's a very samurai kind of look at it. Um, like if if you watch in in Star Blazers or whatever the uh, the space battleship Argo Yamato whatever you want to talk about it has that cherry blossom flower red as his figurehead oh um, oh I didn't even catch that wow nice yeah yeah um and 
I got a pair of Japanese wings that I traded my wings with uh, a bunch of Japanese naval aviators back in 2014 on Rimpack, and it's got the cherry blossom. Like that is a big, big symbol for them. It's been a big symbol for them since the samurai period. Like if you guys ever watched The Last Samurai, where yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise is the white guy who's the last samurai. But he's the really he's bad. better than most. Like, he's the best samurai of all time, Tom Cruise. It, he's, he's that movie made it clear to um, me that um, Tom Cruise is better than other samurais. Yeah, because he got his thetans <laughs> in line. He, he wasn't actually the samurai. That's yeah. a common misconception. The thetan oh. is the samurai. The thetan inhabits his body, but no. the thetan is the actual samurai. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, that's, that's, um, just that's like that's uh, Daniel Day-Lewis wasn't the last Mohican. <laughs> that's also true. That's a great movie. That is a good um, movie. They're they're talking about the actual, you know, people. Oh boy! Oh boy! You know what? <laughs> you you guys you guys are just screwing the pooch here. Yeah, uh, we, we really fucked this up, Mike. <laughs> yep. Mike, Mike, of of the only one of us of Japanese descent. School us, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Teach us, uh, teach us of your people. Choto mate, baka. Uh, All right, a little behind gonna, the music. I'm here. gonna give my Mike is obsessed. My with ten it. cents. <laughs> I know, right? I'm gonna give my ten cents on the cherry blossom, and then I'm gonna go to bed because I have not had a day to sleep in for the last eight days, and tomorrow I am. So, anyways, yeah. So the cherry blossom actually was the um, the figurehead on the battleship Yamato. Most of the Yamato class battleships had that right, like right on the like the forecastle of the ship. Um, and where are we going with this? Uh, just, just talking about how the, the cultural significance of the term Yamato, and like how it's oh, yeah. how it kind of like refers to that romantic ideal of of military and like exactly. Um, so the the Japanese have always been a very militaristic society. Well, we we could go into like the Black Dragon. Uh, secret society that supposedly like helped force guide the emperor and force the emperor into military actions at different times but this is uh this isn't hardcore history i don't know <laughs> what the hell is black dragon there, there there's a secret society in japan of a bunch of influential uh military men that essentially forced the empire into war so i'm pretty sure it was called the black dragons it might have been like the gray dragons or something like that and there was, yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's like it's conspiracy theorist esque, but there actually was a secret society that was called that. It's just like nobody really knows exactly how influential they were, but the the emperor implicated them in order to try to distance himself from the warmongering that caused to so much devastation. They. So. Yeah, it sounds like a real like Knights Templar or Freemason thing, where it's like it's very easy to pin things on them because uh, they some in some way embrace the mystique or are no longer yeah. anything like the organization that they were back in yeah, the day, yeah. like okay. hundreds of years huh. ago. Yeah, well, well, the only reason why it came up is because there was some sort of concern about them coming back into dominance when I was living in Japan. So, because there was talk about like the Japanese military changing from a self defense force to a military. And if they would get support from the U.S. and like what the implications of that, what that would mean, so. Hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> Shall we do our comparison and wrap up? Hold on. Oh. Hold on. 
what, yeah. one more thing. I, I do want to go in a little bit more of the history of this. So, so the first season is 26 episodes, right? We're mm-hmm. at episode 24 here. We say we have 161 days left. Yeah. Builds, ratchets up the tension. We got, we, we got to get back to Earth. Apparently, they start off the second season back on Earth. With really? The, with with the Cosmo DNA, they're already fixing the problem. No big deal. Oh, really? And then that's when a second alien empire shows up to fuck up Earth's shit. Yep. And then they deal with them for the second season. And then the third season is the Chameleons, who are now helping Earth, are fighting a third empire, a third evil empire. And as part of the collateral and that war between them, uh, a missile hits the sun, sets off the thermal nuclearization of the entire Why are you giving us all these spoilers? Yeah. Why are you ruining the show for us? And then the third season is them saying, oh, we've got a year to fix the the, uh, entire process, the entire thermodynamics of the sun before it destroys the Earth. Or it will destroy the solar system in three years as well. Um, it's quick, no, it's just crazy, like how it jumps around like that. So, it's pretty but, high concept. I feel like every it is, yeah, every season is like one particularly <laughs> high concept situation that they are uh, fleeing from. So, yeah. for this pro, one thing that always that bothered me when I was watching this was obviously the princess from Iskambar, uh, Starsha, uh, contacted Earth and said, "Hey, I've got." this device come get it why didn't she just send the schematics <laughs> and like have the earth build it instead of trying to make them come in a year and yeah. I, and, I, and i was thinking about this while i was watching it when i looked at the wiki appear apparently the princess actually sent schematics of the waveform engine yep that powers the argo to she sent that to earth and that's what they used to retrofit the yamato um, yeah, it's not really clear why that particular device couldn't be transported and, and have the uh, Earthlings build it, but there's something special about it. Or maybe it's all a trap. I don't know. Um, yeah, that's true. We, I, we don't know what the rest of the season looks like for this particular one. So uh, last little bit about the history, uh, which is actually probably pretty fascinating, and you guys might really like it. Um, Will we? They, they did uh, remakes. So yep. the first season had a 26-episode remake in 2012. Uh, it was brought by the, uh, Bandai Visual in 2014 to be brought to the U.S. Uh, that led to a... The, the popularity of that led to the make of a new animated movie that was released in Japan in 2017. And then a second season was being made in 2017. And Funimation purchased the rights to both the movie and the second season. And I did not realize that Funimation was still around at this point in time. I thought that they had disappeared. But maybe they had a resurgence. I'd have to look that back up. Whoa. Do you think that Fun Animation has ties to the Black Dragon Society? They probably do. That's probably exactly how they got the rights. Damn, Matt. You're going deep on this one. It all ties together. That's what she said. (laughs) But anyway, uh, Disney Disney purchased the rights to make a live-action movie in the mid-90s. Wow, um, but that fell apart because the president of production left, and then it was revived in 2006 to make a live-action U.S. movie. That fell apart. Nobody knows why. 2010, they made a live-action movie in Japan, and then when that happened, it renewed all the interest in the U.S. 
So as late as like 2018, they were working on scripts for the uh, Star Blazers, a live uh, action version of Star Blazers. That's interesting because I think 1995 was that um, that was right during the Disney Renaissance, right? Or was that the dark period? I think 1995 was right during the Renaissance. Was that? Yeah, I think that you're right because that was around the time that they they released uh, Pocahontas. Right, that, Pocahontas and Toy Story came out that year. Um, okay, yeah. So that was just kind of post the high of uh, the Little Mermaid and a couple other things. So they, they probably had money yeah, to burn yeah. at that point. Yeah, yeah. So, so who knows? Maybe they'll actually make a live action version of this, and we'll be able to see it in the U.S. market. Uh, I think that the U.S. version, though, they were trying to the, for the live action. They were trying to rename the the Argo, uh, the USS Arizona. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So, so I don't know how good it's going to be, but uh, I, my heart swelled when you when you said that. I'd like to, I just uh, a tear came to my eye and I started humming "God Bless America." Yeah. The USS George W. Bush. Proud to Here be we an go. American. Yeah. We're at the least USS I know Mission I'm free. Yeah. The USS Donald J. Trump. Donald J. Trump. Donald. Precisely. Um, all right. Uh, David, what so, is our next segment? So, Mike. God help Mike. us all. Mike. Yes. Would you let your children watch these shows? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to say, well, at what age? Okay, let, let's... Because... I, I've seen very, very similar to... Can, can we play the final Jeopardy yeah, music during this all this? This is very similar to Barbie <laughs> and, and Lego Friends and shit like that. It, it's just a different time. Okay, Matt, <laughs> so, would you let your kids watch? Um, I would probably let Audrey watch Gemma's <coughs> Holograms if she was old enough to be interested in that. And I'm thinking that, you know, maybe 9 or 10 she might be interested in that, but or maybe a little bit younger. I would probably okay. let her watch that because honestly, there's some decent like female empowerment messaging in there. Even if yeah. it hasn't aged real well, um, a lot of the like female characters are really self-actualized and uh, they seem to be as important and powerful as the main, the male characters in the show. So that's great. Well, um, more so most of the time you actually think that they're, I, I would think that they're more powerful than most of the male characters in the show. I, um, I agree with him. I agree with that. And that's great. That's plus, awesome. They can the, um, fucking sing. Yeah. The battleship, uh, the Star Blazers, I would probably let her watch that when she was older. Um, but I honestly don't think that um, there would be much interest there. But yeah. um, I would be hesitant because of all, all the violence and the sort of um, oddness of the, the retrofitting that happened in the Americanization <laughs> of it. Um, yeah. So I, I would wait until they were or, older. Like that's maybe like a fourteen, fifteen thing, where you can say, where you can talk a little bit about the history, and um, they are maybe more interested in the, the fun of uh, a, a war story. So the retrofitting didn't go far enough in removing the violence. I mean, it's still pretty violent. <laughs> it's still pretty. Yeah. There's still a lot of violence. Um, it's still kind of and, obvious that everybody died in the uh, yeah in the fights. 
and the retrofitting also just in some ways just makes it weirder yeah it's just kind of strange yeah so i i would want audrey to be old enough to recognize um the 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 art as an object that has been changed over time um as opposed to just absorbing it, it the way you might uh when you're younger all yeah. right are we ready for the one universe theory i think we are let's do it let's fight let's fight together are we going to do like our own theories on this or should i just go into the insanity that i've wrought um i honestly it sounds like you need to be the closer on this segment okay yeah i don't have a one universe theory on this well i i I do i mean oh i mean clearly the radiation is permutating the earth and turning everyone's hair different colors and (laughs) and uh, oh it's a terrible time it's a horrible landscape and everyone's desperately craving entertainment and, uh, oh, you think that they're <laughs> happening simultaneously, and yeah. Jim is happening while the Yamato is, is off uh, to collect the Cosmo Cosmo DNA device. Yeah, and, and while they're off the Earth, that's why their hair isn't turning the bizarre neon colors. Hmm. Wow, which is and, what which is what normally happens in anime, but yeah, and you think reason, it's like, like the, toned down here. Yeah. the radiation has affected like everyone's brain and kind of turned them into these uh, shallow. Uh, 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 appearance obsessed commercial uh, capitalists. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that that does kind of jive because the because um, radiation does affect the psyche pretty significantly as the uh, brain starts, the psyche. Well, as as your brain deteriorates, like you're from from radiation poisoning, you actually get delusions and you get like psychotic episodes pretty regularly. That's that's one of the explanations behind really like, the Fallout universe. Singer. So, yeah. <laughs> but nobody I can know. A, I have to hide I, my I identity. Have a, I have a secret identity as a rock star. Um, the, Adam, let's the, let's hear the, the uh, outfit the colors have to match. <laughs> <laughs> See, I mean, okay. yeah, maybe maybe um, Jerrica is just kind of further along on her radiation poisoning than everybody else. Okay, so so I'm I'm making my life significantly harder here so it all sort of came together when you told me about the hologram technology so mm. obviously the princess of Eskadar um were oh. she was tr- she was trying to assist the people of earth by um helping their civilization along a little bit so she provided them um with some very high technology by giving these holograph projectors to the scientist who was the father of Jim. Wow. Um, and it, the idea was that it would be a means for them to be able to communicate much more easily and teach each other uh, concepts, very difficult concepts, much quicker so there'd be a, a greater dissemination of knowledge among the people. So you're wow. saying that the events of Star Blazers is not the first contact of the uh, princess giving them Earth technology? Exactly. Exactly. Wow. Um, so the the princess has kind of been like um, up upraising us. She's been uh, she's been elevating us over our history. Exactly. And right. um, and this in- upset Stampede to no end <laughs> because he was trying to get technology from Starsha, the princess of Iskadar. So he sent a comet to Earth, ripping it apart in 1994. But 
the Texas Armada managed to leave Earth to go found New Texas, uh-huh. and they came back to Earth at the same timeline as uh, Brave Star, and they were recolonizing Earth at this point in time and fixing the planet. And that's when the, the Gamelons saw, oh, they're terraforming a planet that we could take, and the, te- the Gamelons sent their radiation bombs to Earth to terraform the Earth for themselves. And the, the survivors of, or the uh, terraformers that were on the planet, the Texas terraformers, by way of Japan, decided to raise the Amato and retrofit it to fly to Iskadar yep. when Princess Starsha contacted them again and said... I feel so bad for what I've done to your planet in the past. Let me help you now again. That makes a lot yeah. of sense. That's yeah. why they didn't have like uh, a lot of other ships to choose from. So they had to raise the Yamato yeah. as like an ancient relic. They didn't have other ships and it explains all the Southern accents of all the characters the on, on yeah. the Argo. And exactly. all the voice actor studios are in Texas and there's a huge anime fan base down there. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, but so my that, question is, so how that's does, my one universe theory. So, my question is, what was the outcome of giving this technology to Jem, or was she like not the intended recipient of she that was, technology? She was not the intended recipient. Like it, the the scientist father of Jem, he was the one that was supposed to use this technology to help spread mm. uh, knowledge and science among the people at a much faster pace. But then it turned into a tool for yeah a making. crass commercial project product. yeah exactly and that that's part of what upset stampede is that that ish ish uh starsha sorry starsha from iskadar since this great technology that he's wanted for so long uh, to earth and they've squandered it they're not even using it right and that's the wow. reason why he sent the devastation to earth the the i don't even know what it was was it an asteroid some the cosmic event that passed yeah between it was, the earth it was and the a planet the planet, yeah, he sent the planet that crashed between the Earth and the Moon and destroyed Earth in 1994. I could see that. I could also see, like, maybe there was some yeah, um, malevolent... Yeah, just the tidal forces of a planet passing close to, to our planet. Right. Is what, is what ripped it apart, yeah. yeah. Um, I can definitely see, like, uh, even some, like, some of the malevolent influence of Stampede maybe affecting... Um, uh, Eric and and the misfits, like that's maybe why that's they're they're so driven to take over, uh, to supplant Jim and take over Starlight Music. Excellent, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, wasn't isn't Stampede possessed by that like helmet? Yeah, essentially he's in he was supposed to be an ancient alien race that was a lot like dinosaurs, and he was mm-hmm. possessed by a, a robotic. Uh, uh, they they said it was a skull. It was a bison skull, but it was really just horns, like robotic horns that were on him. Right. Do you think that maybe he has like chips that he sent down to infect the misfits and, uh, or at least Eric and Pizzazz? I don't know. I think that it's more of a mystical. Uh, oh yeah. Okay. Interaction. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like, like cross cross space and time. Exactly. It'd be pretty difficult because... for him to send the. Uh, uh, the microchips down there to actually infect them. I mean, it, it took them a while to actually get the planet up and running to hurl it at Earth. So, well, like, clearly, like that happens like ten years later. Like, 
the yeah. Earth, the, the travel time of the planet. So he clearly like started that in the eighties. Exactly. He was upset about the and the, the planet traveled, and then in the nineties when the Earth was um, destroyed, um, that was just like the time delay on on planetary travel. Exactly. Exactly. So. <laughs> So, is Thundar a direct male descendant of Riot? Yes. Oh that's my why, god, yes. That's why he screams <laughs> at the top of his lungs. That's why he has perfectly quaffed uh, golden locks. And that's yes. why he treats Princess Ariel like garbage. That's why, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, and that's why he jumps everywhere. He's actually honoring his ancestors. Uh, uh, oh, from the water, ski jumping. Water skiing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like, um, it's like an ancestral memory. Like exactly. a DNA memory. Like the that Xenomorph. he has to reenact. Yeah. Damn, David. <laughs> See? It's all one universe. <laughs> one confusing, <laughs> stupid universe. I just don't know what we're going to do when we passed... I don't know what we could do when we watch a cartoon that jumps past 1994. I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> But we'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we can squeeze pretty much all of history between 1988 and 1994, right? Probably, Everything probably. that's happened since then. Yeah. That's kind of probably really been fit. downhill. Like, really, ever since the Berlin Wall came down, it's just been whew, downhill from there. Yeah, it's only like four years, right? Yeah. Yep. All right, David, what is our next okay. segment? I should mention at this point that we've lost both Derek and Mike. Oh, did Mike jump off? Probably. Yes, he did. Or passed right. out. Well, this will make the vote easier. Should we keep these episodes on the list? <laughs> I, I think we keep Jim and the Holograms just because I feel like there's a little bit more there. But I, I would actually cut um, Star Blazers just because Star Blazers is... Interesting. It's, it's Star Blazers is good, and I want to watch it. Yeah. But I, I don't think there's, there's a lot of meat there, to be perfectly honest. The, the, the funniest bit that we're going to get out of Star Blazers is... Oh, this is the obvious point when they killed a bunch of characters, but we changed it for American audiences, so kids want to get upset, or so parents I, of kids want to get upset. I think I think that we could get a little more out of Star Blazers, but um, I don't think we have more than like an episode or two until yeah. we've like pretty thoroughly explored the weirdnesses of it. Whereas the gem and the holograms, just the insanity of that one episode that we see, I feel like there's. A whole, you know, an incredible rich vein of, of poor fashion choices and more mm. more plot or, or like plot on par with the amount of hair in episodes that yeah, that yeah. we could really uh, we could really sink our teeth into. It's a confection, a candy confection that we want to devour. And, and and it also has some great tunes attached to it. So yeah, yeah some banging jams, some some slapping music. <laughs> So yeah, I, I, I think I would sec. I wasn't thinking. I was thinking keep them both because I wanted to keep watching Star Blazers. But I think to Adam's point, I will vote to take Star Blazers off the list. Um, but I might personally watch it. Yeah, um, that's what. I, and, that's actually what I was thinking because I probably yeah. just want to watch it myself. But let's keep Jim on there because I just want to hear Derek's reaction to each time Jim comes up. <laughs> Derek. <laughs> yeah, because Derek was was like so. He hated it so much. He was so adamantly against oh. it. Oh, did we lose Matt? Oh, shit. I thought we lost you both. Oh, no. Matt's back. back. Okay. I'm back. Yeah, okay. I, yeah, because Derek was so like, this is horrible. I can't believe we watched this. <laughs> he hated it. Oh, he should have been here to vote then. 
Exactly. <laughs> I uh, but again, for the health of the podcast, we got to keep this terrible show. Yeah. Yeah. What, I would, say, would say that David? they're both kind of on the bubble, but uh, I would probably keep them both. But we've got a two votes against Star Blazers. I think that's our first show voted off. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, first so, first one off the island, and honestly, it's probably the one I liked the most. Yeah, me too, actually. <laughs> but like I said, I'll probably go watch it on my own. Oh, shit, man. It's, it's too good. The show never ends. Oh, we're, we're, down, we're down to only 208 series to look at. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> well, we gotta do the research, guys. We gotta get more. Yeah, we gotta add more on there. Uh, on that note... What is our next section? Do we talk about next what's, segment. what's coming up next? Next coming time on next. Amazingly Terrible. Awesomely Terrible. Yeah. Amazingly Terrible. Amazing, yes. Well, on a future time, episode. Well, just like last time, next time is the spectacular Spider-Man and Wildcats. <laughs> Wildcats, 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 Wildcats. Or we, uh, ne- or we may never do that show just so we can always sing that song. Um, I what would if, be happy. What if we did? What if we did next time on Amazingly Terrible? Jim and the Hologram, season three, episode seven, and <laughs> Star Blazers, episode one, uh, season one, episode twenty-four, and then we just swap the audio. There we go. Um. Do you want to have me take over the uh, summary duties of Wildcats? No, no. Okay. You you force Mike to do it. (laughs) So so we've created this queue so that when technical difficulties come up, which was all of this episode. (laughs) Yeah. I blame Jeff Bezos. That we can fall back to another planned episode. So we should do this other planned episode right now. Okay, so we have to roll now. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Okay. All right. Enter sound effect of dice rolling do, now. Do we want to roll for shows first or for hosts first? I Let's don't think roll. we've done this. I don't think we've recorded this before. We haven't recorded um, the host roll yet. Let's let's <laughs> roll for show first. Yeah. And then, and then once we have the show, then there's like there's stakes. tension. There's some type of yeah. tension. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's stakes because they might be. Maybe you do really don't want to do that one, or you really want to do that. Yeah. Okay. Like it, Show first. It's like suddenly it's it's Denver the Last Dinosaur, and I'm like, fuck! If I watch that, I have to watch that Whoopi Goldberg movie, Dinosaur <laughs> Cop. Why? 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 Why would you have to watch that? That my brain is broken. That's why. <laughs> God damn it! Now I have to watch every dinosaur movie, <laughs> <laughs> including the dinosaurs TV show. Not the baby, or not the mama. I'm the baby. Right. Fuck you. <laughs> God, I hated that show. So, damn you and your stakes. The second, the second series we're going to be watching, the Muppet Babies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Oh my God. I I would, want the Muppet Babies. I don't know why. I I'm glad because I do not want the Muppet Babies. <laughs> you know, well, Adam, you've you've done all of the shows. I was actually going to take you out of this role. Okay, no, that's fine. That's fine. I'm uh, I'm good sitting out. You can use me as a pitch hitter later on. There you go. Put me in coach when you need me. 
I mean, Actually, I no, know. I gotta, I gotta leave you in. You yeah, know. um, yeah, because you're okay. reliable. Well, no, no. <laughs> don't have. I'm gonna double down on Derek. That's what it double is. Double down on Derek. Okay. Double down on Derek. So, and for our second host for the Muppet Babies. God damn it, it's me. Alright. <laughs> 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 Your first episode, David. Um, any other closing bitty business? Uh just just need to sign off and say who we were and who we weren't. For Mike and Derek, I've been Matt Gardner. And I've been Adam Trent. Amazingly Terrible is produced by David Marks. Music by the Arl Knots. What's this? It's a boat. Dr. Sane's gonna run out of bandages. <laughs>